0: Hello and welcome to episode one hundred and ninety four of the Creighton crowbar. It is the twenty first of June twenty seventeen and if you're listening to this and thinking, "Wow, that sounds echoier and worse than <laughs> this podcast normally sounds, that's out of necessity because rather than record this in my office, which is hotter than the surface of the sun, uh, we've decided to record this in Tom Francis's living room, which isn't. Uh, my name is Chris Thurston, and on this episode—I should have said this already—I am joined by Tom Francis. Hello, because it's his house. Tom Senior. Hello, because it's not his house. And Philippa War. Hi. Because she just got in the car with
1: me when I left.
2: Oh. <laughs> you <laughs> expected
3: to
1: do this alone, but we're yeah. just, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That's how you wow. get on the Crank Crowbar for future reference. If you ever
3: one. No, don't come to my house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's really warm, and that will cover all sorts of other mistakes um, <laughs> as this goes on. That's not the news, though. But one of those mistakes could be that we didn't find out if there was any news. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, Other than it's really warm, what mm. is what is going on?
3: Well, there was a bunch of controversies about um, mod stuff. So GTA Five uh, or Take Two rather um, issued a cease and desist against the Open, Open Four, 4 <laughs> mod for <laughs> GTA Five. <laughs> Uh, which is a kind of, like, I think it's described as like a backbone mod that a load of other mods use. And by shutting that down, they effectively killed modding on the GTA 5 modding scene. At least that's what people are saying. Um, and in response, players have been giving it negative reviews on Steam. Uh, and that is now, its recent reviews are now overwhelmingly negative. Um, and interestingly, I heard that there was a similar kind of reaction to the Skyrim... Um, or, I guess, uh, Bethesda paid mods thing that they announced at E3, um, where people were down, were negatively reviewing Skyrim. Um, and I saw somebody claiming that Steam had been deleting those negative reviews. And I looked on Skyrim's page and didn't have many negative reviews recently. Um, so I actually don't know if that's true or not, but, um, I'm saying it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, this is, I mean, that's an increasingly common form protest, kind of has been for a few years now, is just uh, review bombing uh, a game. And I was trying to figure out how I feel about it, because on the pipe paid mods thing, I'm actually kind of in favor of it, or at least I think it's um, it can be a good thing, and it'd be worth trying with uh, with a game. Maybe Skyrim isn't the best fit, because it's got such an established modding community, maybe it's better to do it with a new launch. Um, but I think it could lead to good things, and I think modders, you know... Uh, if we can get to a system where modders get paid for their work, that would be better. Um, uh, but the GTA modding, shutting down thing, <laughs> um, I think I'm kind of on the side of the angry internet mob because uh, it depends on the technicalities there. of it. But I was just trying to think like, I don't know what the legal situation is at all, but just kind of the, is it right or wrong to distribute a thing that you can use with, you know, is, is it at all reasonable for the maker of a game to, um, ban people from making things that modify that game and uh to me it seems like if you're if you're taking bits of the game like assets and code and stuff and changing them and then redistributing those change versions that is just like copyright breach like that's taking someone else's work modifying it and then doing whatever you like with it and i think it's basically reasonable that it's possible for people to restrict that personally i think they shouldn't um, but in terms of like what the law should be, I think if, um, it's probably reasonable to say you can't take copyrighted material, moderate it, modify it, and then distribute it just however you like and be totally immune to any consequences of that. But if they're distributing something that just works with the game and doesn't actually include any of the Rockstar made stuff in the actual thing they're distributing, I don't feel like they have a leg to stand on. I mean, I'm sure like the end user license agreement, you waive away any rights to do anything with it ever. Um, but it doesn't seem reasonable to me to shut people down from... Um, just distributing a thing that, yes, interacts with this game, but doesn't actually include any um, any of its own assets.
4: I think from reading bits and pieces about it, Take-Two was saying things like it was because some of the things that uh, Open 4 takes advantage of are some of the things that enable people to cheat in the online side of things. Um, although I think they were like vague enough about that that it's up to where you stand in the basic thrust of the argument as to how believable you find that. Um, and I think it, it's, has also tied into, um, plans possibly by that same, uh, group of people working on Open 4 to add Liberty City, I think, as a playable area oh, right. or something. So I think it's a kind of... It's a thing that has some valid concerns in terms of business and copyright protection or rights protection in general. But it's the way that Take to have handled it has done nothing but garner ill will. And yeah. it's that thing of... Because we talked about it, we talked about it in the other podcast I did today, um, the RPS one, and I was trying to remember the phrase for when you bring, I don't know, like a flamethrower to an ice cream fight or something. Like, what is that
2: phrase? <laughs> uh,
4: like, you know, but where you bring a, a thing that's so a, no, it would be the other way around. No, to a knife fight. but that's not a phrase is it no anyway so but that idea of i think that they have just sort of blanket banned the entire thing probably because it's an annoyance or you know whatever else with kind of some valid concerns but also no regard to the community that is actually evangelical about their game and makes the single player stuff viable for far longer than it would be because they don't provide on that front anymore mm. it's all multiplayer now so yeah I bring think. a
3: lawsuit to a mod fight <laughs> mm. so, or overreacting <laughs> I, think,
4: yeah. I think i think brendy said good. bringing a lion to a cat cafe <laughs> <laughs> which i really loved as a phrase
1: <laughs> it's odd they're doing it now after you know these mods have been around for years mm. uh, i wonder if they're setting a precedent for uh, their future online games Mm. like Red Dead mm. and things like that where now they just want to crack down on that and make sure that the the next iteration of whatever comes next or probably Red Dead Online it comes to PC um, they can just go in right away and shut down all of these these mods that might jeopardise its security. I mean given how hu- unexpectedly huge
0: for them even GTA Online was and how much money they made from selling mm. things that in, could hypothetically be mods like skins and cars and stuff I can see that they maybe don't want that to even have an inkling of an ecosystem in the future like yeah. just kill it now because but,
4: but like cheating is also a legit problem it is it is certainly but, online. Yeah. but I think so another phrase that I can't quite remember is that thing of if you only have like a spork everything looks like a spork Or something. If you have a hammer every you problem know, looks like a knife yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> if you have a spork no problem looks like anything everything seems unsolvable yeah.
0: <laughs> I can sort of <laughs> solve everything. <Yeah.
4: laughs> but you know, they, they've got cease and desists at their disposal. So sure, we'll fire off a few of them. And mm. they've also shut down a bunch of, um, cheat sites as well, I think in the same like breadth of, of heavy handed corporate mm. legalese. So, you know, it's, there's some mm. valid and some absolutely garnering no goodwill whatsoever. And, trying to apparently crush the community that evangelizes for you. So, nice one.
3: <laughs> if you have a bull, every fight looks like a china shop.
4: <laughs> mm. I like that. I don't know where I was going with sporks, because I was like, <laughs> I knew, I, I was fairly sure it was hammers, but then I thought maybe it was screwdrivers. And then I was just like, well, it's definitely not sporks,
2: but maybe <laughs> I'll sorry.
4: just see what happens when I start on that like route of... No, sporks was the Alanis Morissette line <laughs> Got 10,000 sporks <laughs> She just needs porridge To to like deal with Now or something I don't know <laughs> Is that the news? Have we news?
1: If, if
0: all you've got is a trolley Every problem looks like two tracks One of them has three
3: people <laughs> <laughs> it Looks like a train is going to hit a fat man <laughs> Yeah exactly <laughs> um,
0: What were we talking about? Yeah that seems like news it's post-E3. We did it. So
3: yeah. <laughs> There was also, it was kind of weird, um, uh, but there was a, like a really huge TF2 patch today, I think, hmm. or, um, uh, in the last few days, uh, that wasn't like one of those big named updates. It was just a patch, but it was primarily balanced stuff, and it was a huge list of balanced stuff and really big, like, rethinks. They just, several weapons, they just completely started again from scratch and just totally changed how they work. Huh. Um, and i was reading through that today i haven't played in long enough to kind of really uh have an opinion on the changes or anything um also i haven't played them <laughs> which is probably the essential ingredient um but it's kind of it's got a good um it was like the patch list the change list is a good read it's uh for each problem they start with here's what we see as the problem with this weapon we mm-hmm. think that uh for instance, the Sandman is a, a weapon that the scout's uh, unlockable bat for the scout where you can hit a baseball at people. And if only if the ball has been travelling for like two seconds before it hits them, does it stun them. And if it stuns them, then they can only move slowly and they can't fire their weapon. And everyone's hated that forever, <laughs> as far as I can remember. Um, because having control taken away from you is horrible. Um, and is it
2: beaning
4: when you hit someone with a yeah, baseball? Yeah, probably.
3: Ball? I think that came up in Futurama once. Before
0: you have this baseball bat. (laughs) Every problem looks like a bean.
4: (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um, So they... And in the change list, that starts with... um, People find... People have always hated that this takes control away from you. It takes away your ability to fight back. If it happens to you, there's no no real solution. You just um, have to take whatever's coming to you. Um, And also, because it's only at long range, it tends to feel pretty arbitrary whether you get hit or not. There's no pure skill way to guarantee hitting someone at that range Uh, Therefore, when they do, it's always a little bit luck on their part, Mm. Um, and so they set that out as their objective and then they go through the changes they made to it and um, the changes that now, it doesn't take away your ability to fire, you can still fire, um, but they've made it, uh, the effect triggers with less flight time, so you don't have to be so long range with it, so it's slightly easier for the scout, uh, but the effect is less severe. Um, and then I think the ball regenerates a bit quicker or something. And so, for each one of the weapons they go through, they do it that way, and they explain what their goal is, how mm. they've, um, uh, what their idea is to to fix that, and then the specific changes that it actually boils down to. It's really cool.
4: They do that on um, for the for the bigger or the more um, the the changes that they want to highlight on Blizzard's Overwatch patches. They'll have like developer notes on particular. Oh, yeah segments to give a bit more flavor or explain what their thinking was and uh it's been a while since I sat down and read League of Legends patch notes, but they used to do a similar thing where they would actually at least explain the thrust of what the changes were to champions or whatever else just to guide people i I think maybe when you've got such a vocal community you want to set expectations or you want to seem like. You were humans trying to do a thing, Yeah mm. which is interesting. That Dota really doesn't feel it's the exact fooder. opposite. If it's we have like... a single
0: anonymous designer, you'll never find out who he is, <laughs> and we will never explain anything <laughs> he does.
4: And it will be 0.2 of a change to a thing, and figure it out. You occasionally get the
0: little jokes in Dota patch notes that yeah. show that someone's listening, but mm. like that's like trying to pulse through a jumper.
3: I'd be really. <laughs> I'd be really interested to know uh, if that's an intentional decision by Valve. If there's, if they've talked about this and they've decided for Dota it's right to not explain it, and for TF2 it's right to explain it, or whether they're just different people and they have different opinions on this and they just do their own thing. I mm-hmm.
0: suspect, um, not to get into the Dota Wang of it, but mm-hmm. I suspect that because there's a thing, quite well documented thing, where when you explain the intended, um, you know, the intended effect effect of a patch you can almost have that effect without then deploying the patch in terms <laughs> of the game's metagame because people will start playing. This was proof of StarCraft, oh, yeah, yeah. I think. Was, no, was,
4: um, well, there was a League thing maybe, where yeah. they included a patch note for something that ended up not being shipped in the patch just, I think, through oversight or something. But people w- noted the change <laughs> in their play. You know, I think it was a nerf to a character or something and they were like, oh, you know, it feels different. You know, that <laughs> kind of... Mm.
0: And so I think it depends on the type of the game. Um, TF2 has you know it's, it's probably a little bit easier to lay out this is what we'd like this weapon to do this is the problem with it whereas like you know MOBA changes or RTS changes tend to be extremely granular it's like this unit turns around 0.3 seconds quicker now which means that over time it probably does like a 30% more damage or something because it can track a target quicker or whatever whatever the actual output of that is but as moment you start laying this out to people it probably makes it can maybe imbalance things if if people over overvalue certain changes and things. So yeah. Dota always just leaves it as like it's like scrying tea leaves. You, it just <laughs> the patch is there, the numbers are there, and people just sort of pull from it what they want.
3: I wonder if they would like in an ideal world rather not even have patch notes. Just say changed it. <laughs> Take a mm. look. Figure see it out. Because <laughs> I can imagine, I can definitely imagine some um, very you know data oriented people at Valve kind of seeing explaining your intent to the to the user as polluting the data if you're saying like because i imagine what the first thing they do when they launch a patch is watch very intently what happens and see Mm. you know what does the win rate go up like for this character that we buffed or um you know we hoped that this would make this character more useful are people picking them more um and uh initially that's going to be if you tell them oh we made uh this character stronger then yeah everyone's going to pick More people are going to pick that character because they at least want to check out those changes. And I I guess probably for the, after you change the game, the data is just garbage for a while. (laughs) Uh, Because it's just going to be people experimenting. But if they didn't announce it at all, um, I guess you'd still wouldn't get data right away because people just wouldn't know what Mm -hmm. the differences are. They'd take a while to just find out and learn through experience. But it would be interesting. You'd definitely get different data.
0: I think um, laying out the pure, the mathematical nature of the changes, literally what values have been changed and to what is the closest to neutral you can get while yeah. still giving people something. Because like, the other side of it is it's not just data-driven people at Valve. The community is, is terrifically data-driven. They provide mm. an API to that community so people can data-mine the hell out of every match that is played. Mm. So the sort of living game of Dota is is a kind of repository for information for both the community and the developers in terms of like what's popular and what's going on. And the moment someone with authority at Valve steps out and says, this is what we want the game to be, it kind of ruins that pool, because part of the game is figuring out trying to solve it, right? Like, it's supposed to be this huge unsolved problem, and so the developer can't give any clues, because that kind of spoil it a bit. Like, you know... It's
4: interesting to me, because League tries to have the best of both worlds, because... They are a lot more, I don't want to say dogmatic because it's not quite that, but they have a very definite idea of how the game should be played and what they want to do to improve it in certain ways. So, you know, they'll um patch, uh, uh, they'll make a patch so that the early game is more interesting and they'll explain to people that that was the intent. And I think there'll be a certain amount of fulfilment off the back of having explained it and people reading into that and obviously if it really didn't work it wouldn't bear out eventually but i think they are happier taking a lead in shaping the game in a way that doesn't fit dota but i'm i'm actually really interested in the idea of patch notes and where it came from and how it evolved like has it it feels like it's become part of consumer rights Culture almost at this point because it's like people want to know what's happening with the game, they want to know, and it also ties into early access because people want to know that people are still working on the game and they want to know progress and they want to see Trello boards and they want, you know, all of this stuff to make sure that their investment is being cared for. And it's kind of interesting that I'm assuming these things were just deployed in a kind of oh, hey, here's, you know, a courtesy information dump of like. Stuff that we've changed if you're interested, but now it's like this thing that has to be done and that has to be uh, pulled apart and posted and accurate and
3: yeah it's a definitely i mean some games don't post update notes, and even valves games they've done things where they'll just patch and there won't be an, up, an update about it um because that's what where conspiracy theories often the start uh is wait they patch they changed something what is it what did they change did they, <laughs> did they add the secret tenth class, or did they do this um and, uh, I can't remember what game I had this with, but I, like, I do get annoyed if I see the game update and I look for an update, n- update news, uh, to find out what changed and there's nothing there. Cause I feel like there's, you know, something, something of value has been given to me, but I'm not allowed to access it yet because I don't know what it is. Um, and if it is just bug fixes, then usually I don't care. Although, you know, if you, if you're actually having a bug and it's a ruining experience, it really matters whether that bug's in the list or not.
4: I think it never really occurs to me. I boot up Steam. I watched it update a bunch of things, but all I'm really bothered about is whether that's impacting me streaming something on <laughs> Netflix or, you know, I, yeah. I, I'll check on things that I'm expecting to be interested in or that have caught my eye or, you know, that are adding particular content that I'm curious about. But I, it's, mm, it's one of those things where I would be f- fine I think if people weren't explaining what they were doing
3: mm-hmm. one trend I really like is that um and I think this is related to the early access thing um quite a lot of games are bringing patch notes into the game itself so there'll be an option on the main menu to just see what's changed mm. and uh, off world trading company which we talked about recently when you log into that it gives you a breakdown of everything that's changed since you last played mm. so it oh, knows when you last played and then yeah, compresses all those changes which is cool except that um the dialogue i guess they're kind of being cute about it but um uh, the dialogue box will have a list of those changes and then the confirmation button for it there's no like okay or cancel there's just a button that says wow <laughs> and the changes were like moved the okay button in the replay menu three pixels to the left <laughs> so, anyway, I looked on the list there's like 15 of them but they were all so minor it was incredibly difficult <laughs> to really mean that wow <laughs>
0: that was an inauthentic wow yeah you find.
3: I also um, I'll talk about this uh, in a bit but um, I've been playing Dead Cells which is an early access game and I've only been playing it just recently, like in the last two weeks, and they have a patch notes link on the main menu. Um And so I, I used it and looked at the, what the patch notes are. Um, and the last, like all of the patch notes are things that I have, like it's always been that way as far as I'm concerned. I've never played it without those changes. So it ended up being like reverse patch notes, like going down the list, every single thing that they changed, I already know that's like that because I've been playing the game and it, it works like that. And so I've been reverse engineering in my head, like, oh, it didn't used to work like that, or there used to be no oil, or like, <laughs> electricity didn't used to transmit through water.
1: <laughs> one last bit of news that makes me very excited is that the Necromancer is coming to Diablo 3 oh, yeah. next, next week. Oh, is it next week? It is, yeah, next Tuesday, so I uh, will be talk, might be able to talk about it on the pod if I get a few hours. That's so, exciting. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. That's an excuse you to, to download, Tom. Well, Traditionally, I don't, you don't really need one. an excuse. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm going to... Put another hundred hours into Diablo. As a necromancer. What's
4: so great about the
2: necromancer? Uh,
1: well, corpse explosion. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it in two words <laughs> for sure. I was talking to Biz about it actually this week, and um, they were saying how that you know I was asking them how what they had to change about the necromancer to make it work in Diablo Three system, um, and they said that's to actually change move away from a lot of the poison spells because Diablo Three is a much more immediate combat game and much faster, mm. um, and that's why so they had an initial version of corpse explosion where you clicked on one corpse and it exploded. And they're like, ah, uh, this feels a bit weak. So now they just all explode. <laughs> <laughs> all courses explode? Yeah. Everywhere, or...? Uh, just I think you just... It's like a combo. You just lay, you kill loads of things and then hit the detonate button and watch as they just all pop and obliterate <laughs> everything else.
2: Cause
3: uh, the Necromancer was my favourite class in Diablo 2 and it had mm. this brilliant, like... Uh, feeling of like a tide to the combat where initially because none of his stuff did do a lot of initial damage it was full a lot of poison based stuff a lot of low damage things a lot of minions that would fight for you Uh, and then corpse explosion which is huge damage but at least one thing has to be dead (laughs) and at the start of a fight uh, often nothing is dead and so until that first body falls it was always uh, pretty tough and you had to be really careful and keep yourself alive and let your minions take the damage and poison things. And I had a dagger that did a huge amount of poison damage over time and also made things run away. So it was like perfect necromancer tool because something comes near you, you stab it, it runs away. It was called the Screaming Dagger of Pestilence. <laughs> 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 you stab things, they scream, run away, and then eventually die. Uh, and then as soon as the first thing dies, whether it's from that poison or whether it's from what your, when your minions wearing something down, you immediately cast corpse explosion and that kills a bunch of other stuff and now there's more corpses and then oh, you blow up those okay, corpses yeah. and then there's, so there's like just this wave of death that just erupts from that first body that's just like, I win now. <laughs> <laughs> One thing died, I get to win.
1: I love that you could, uh, you could create a golem out of any item in the game and the golem would have the same properties as the item oh, that you really? used, uh, which was an amazing, potentially just impossible to balance skill that I don't expect to see return, but <laughs> it was amazing in Diablo 2. Because there was something like that in Dungeon Siege,
3: where um you had a golem and you could feed it items and it's kind of what you did with your trader trash instead of selling it you Mm. could feed it to your pet and yeah it would gain some of its properties i think if you kept feeding it weapons it would get more attack and if you kept feeding it shields Mm. it would get more defense i really like that idea it's raised on a diet of shields (laughs) (laughs) let's
0: go back to dead cells tom because that's Mm. what you've been up to
3: yeah so i had played it um last week or whenever i last talked about it um and me and Graham have gone through a, a sort of uh, bizarre switcheroo where he was on at me to play Dead Cells and I just coincidentally happened to discover Cave Blazers around that time <laughs> and I fell in love with Cave Blazers, he fell in love with Dead Cells and we were both yelling at each other to play the other one and then eventually we did both play the other one and both of us thought eh, oh, yeah, no, that's not that good. <laughs> like, uh, Well, I think...
4: I thought- playing quite a lot of cave blazers he is now (laughs) Uh,
3: and now i'm playing loads of dead cells at some point (laughs) nothing really um just like very slowly you know uh, we were talking about it the other day and graham was saying like um i still think dead cells is a better game but every day i play a bit more cave blazers and a bit less dead cells and at the same time i was playing more and more dead cells (laughs) Mm
4: -hmm. um i think the daily challenges really help with like getting people involved
3: yeah and i was playing the daily challenge in cave blazers and it is um i really like the game still um and it's, the thing it does brilliantly is that every time you play, you get a different set of blessings and pickups and passive perks, and they stack and stack and stack until you have this really pronounced, interesting build that you haven't had before. Um, and Dead Cells, so they're both side-on platformers. Uh, they're both roguelikes in the sense that there's permadeath, the levels are randomly generated. Um, and both of them have some kind of persistent progression as well in Cave Blazers, you level up and you unlock perks. And a perk is just a kind of... It's almost like a class. You pick that at the start of the run. And then um, it'll do something... The one I use in Cave Blazers is I fire two arrows instead of one, but my melee is slower or something. Um, And in Dead Cells, you find, as loot drops, um, blueprints. um, And a blueprint... Doesn't immediately unlock that item. You've got to take it to the end of the level. So you have to survive to the end of the level, and if you die before, then you lose it permanently. And then when you get there, you still got to. uh, It's the blueprint is saved at that point, but you still don't have access to the item, and it will still never spawn until you spend cells to unlock it. And cells are what you get from killing enemies, and again, you have to take them to the end of the level; otherwise, they're lost. Um, So. But there is that progress towards unlocking things and the things you've unlocked it's persistent and that determines what drops. So every time, like early on, the things that can drop in the, in the game are very limited. You keep getting the same things over and over because you haven't unlocked anything else. Um And a lot of things about Dead Cells really put me off it at first. Like I think it's bad at the new player experience, uh at least for me, because I kept finding the same things everywhere and every again. I didn't really like those things. And so it was just kind of boring um and also the level design seemed really bad at first because there's just loads of dead ends and it has a system of teleporters but those teleporters weren't in the dead ends so i'd go down a dead end and i just had to walk all the way back and sometimes there'd be like spikes and stuff and i've got to jump over shit now and do the same thing in reverse um and then pretty early on you get access to two different abilities that uh interact with things that you find in those dead ends so there's like a weird green pustule thing and now i have the ability to turn that into a vine which takes me to the next part of the level And as soon as you have that, like now that level design makes sense because there are no dead ends and uh, everything leads somewhere and it's fine. But that early experience is just bad. It just, it's just worse, um, and so I kind of got past that with just brute force. It was annoying me, surprising in that actually. But once I had that ability, it really started liking the game more. Until that point, it feels like the game is just, is just being mean to you. It's just like, no, you don't get to play this game. You don't get to. Everything's just really bad for you because you haven't <laughs> got to the right place. It doesn't tell you how to get to the right place. So what you need to do to, to unlock this is just until you have that, everything just sucks a little bit. Um, and then eventually, I just, uh, you know, just over time unlocked enough stuff that I had. I started to find more interesting things. Um, and I could access all parts of the level. And it has quite an interesting structure where instead of being a linear series of levels, um, the uh, first level leads on to um, uh, the promenade, something promenade, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, And that's the only only exit to the level initially um, until you get the thing that can make the vines out of the green things. And then even though the level is different every time and it's randomly generated, uh, there is always another exit from it going to the sewers and you can only get to it if you have the ability to grow those vines. So essentially, once you've got to that point, like, you have to beat a certain boss to get that ability. Once you have that ability... Um from then on, you always have a choice of where to go from the first level. You can either go to the Promenade or you can go to the Sewers. And then you get a third ability that lets you also go to the ossuary, which I don't know what an Ossery is in real life. It's like a, crypt, a bone, store. Okay. bone Store.
0: Bone Store. Bone
3: Store. And all you have is a Bone Store. Every problem looks like an Ossery. <laughs> um, and so now I have, every time I start the game, I have three different choices as to where to go. And in, within each of those levels, there's also, um, I think, at least two different places you can go depending on what other abilities you have Um, and so each time I play I get to decide where I'm going to go and like Cave Blazers you do find random things and those random things inform your build but it's just four things you have two weapons and two abilities um, oh and an amulet but the amulets uh, have mostly been not that dramatic in terms of what they do I found one that makes you go invisible after five seconds of not attacking which is incredible and like suits my my place you know my preferred play style in all games <laughs> um, really really well and then I uh, I also found a blueprint which was my first blueprint I found in ages and then I immediately died to a group of enemies that I had been perfectly defeating <laughs> until that <laughs> point and I still can't really tell you why just everything went wrong all at once and I couldn't deal with it and uh, I lost my blueprint and I lost that awesome ghost amulet um So there are less, like, builds, there are less combinations, it feels less um, intricate in the way all your different perks and things are stacking up, because you're not getting a load of perks, you're just picking, okay, I've got the double knives, and uh, a. there's one thing, I can't remember what it's called now, but, like, a firebrand or something, where you throw something, uh, like a grenade, and when it lands, it just sets fire to everything nearby, and it's a really good, like, indirect damage weapon if you before you attack enemies, you can just sort of lay down fire in their area and set fire to them. And that would be a good damage combo, both those things. One of them does good indirect damage and daggers is one of the highest direct damage thing. But that build doesn't give you a lot of like stun or ways to disable enemies. So for your equip, for your skill slots, you'd probably want something like a flashbang, which would uh, disable enemies for a little while. Um, Or... uh, an ice grenade, which would slow them down um, and stuff like that. So you are still, you're finding things, what you find determines what your options are and then from those options you pick a build by just combining these things. And so that part of it is less complex than K Blazers but the combat itself is way, way better than K Blazers and just feels really really satisfying. It's quite skill-based in a way that I didn't like at first because I was bad at it. (laughs) Now I'm good at it and I do like it. (laughs) And it really does, to a bigger extent than I realised... Um, than I would have predicted it really does have that feeling of mastery because you start at level 1 every time and level 1 doesn't get any harder and you unlock new weapons and stuff so you get better so level 1 just gets easier it's just like uh, early on it was a real challenge to ever get to the end of it and now it's uh, I can trivially get to all three exits that I have access to and it's just a question of which one I want to go to and how long do I hang around I'll always kill every enemy on the level because it's just worth it to to get all their cells and um, find all the loot and stuff and um i now i'm almost like speed running it like i just have absolutely no fear on level one i know what every enemy does i know exactly how to deal with all of them and it's more like finesse and i'll just be like doing forward rolls under them and then <laughs> like the most stylish ways to kill them and that becomes really satisfying i really enjoy that now i'm just um i'll still fuck it up sometimes i'll still take some damage but um uh when it works it looks really spectacular and uh yeah hitting things feels really good and finding good combinations of weapons that just completely destroy stuff is really satisfying and then when it does get hard, it gets really, um, you have to keep learning enemies in a way that, I mean, if the game gets compared to Dark Souls a lot. I don't think it is that much like Dark Souls in, in, um, uh, structure. Um, it feels more like a, uh, just a roguelike because it's randomly generated levels for one thing. Um, but, um, it does have that thing of, Learning an enemy and just learning what it's going to do and how it can hurt you and what its timings are and that kind of stuff. And once you once you've got that down, it's got a dodge roll like Dark Souls, and it's uh, pretty key to not taking damage. Um, and once you completely understand an enemy and you've practiced it a whole lot of times, and your muscle memory is um, uh, is developed. Then it becomes pretty trivial to deal with them as long as you also have the right weapon in some cases. Um, and so, like the enemies i struggle with are just the ones i've encountered the least um and uh there is one that's um like there's this huge skeleton like it's like three times your height and uh they're slow and they don't have any ranged attacks but if they start attacking and you don't immediately stop them they just do a devastating series of sword swipes and it just will kill you um and uh They're quite tough as well, so it takes a lot of um, damage to deal with them. And if you want to take them on in close combat is really difficult. You don't do enough damage to, like, stun them out of attacking you. And once they start, it's really hard to make them stop. And lately I played with a build that had an ice grenade, which freezes people, obviously, um, and an infantry bow, which is a bow that does critical hits at close range. Um, And the infantry bow did 175% extra damage to frozen targets. And so it's a little bit elaborate to, like, hit someone with a grenade and then also get to point-blank range and then also fire your bow... But if they're frozen, then it's fairly easy to close that distance. And if I froze one of those knights and then walked straight up to them and shot him point blank with a bow, it literally just killed him in one hit. (laughs) And it was so satisfying. It's just like, it's a a critical hit. This bow does great critical damage. They're frozen, and it does bonus damage to frozen targets. And uh, that was just like a really satisfying build. And I've had other builds where, like, um, still with the infantry bow um, and with a sentry, which is a thing that you throw out and then it'll attack enemies, but you have to stay close to it to, to keep it firing. Um, I, that was dealing with most things, most things for me because you can just hang back and place a sentry where you need it. It will shoot some things. And, uh, if it doesn't kill them, you just throw out another one. They're free. It's just a cool down. Um, until I got to like some robotic spider things that fire out infinite flying enemies. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like a sort of, um, uh, I don't know quite how they do it, but if you get close to them, they like drop a bunch of grenades and then just start spewing Basically bats, um, and those bats will chase you. They can just pass through walls. They uh, nothing can stop them. Um, they're reasonably tough individually. They're not complete cannon fodder, um, and they'll just be like, you know, twelve of them in a batch. And after you defeat those, it just spews out another twelve, and it doesn't seem to have any kind of limit. <laughs> and I had this amazing build that had been destroying everything. It really felt like I'd, I'd kind of won the lottery of, of drops. I'd got everything that worked really well together. I got this really overpowered turret and had that infantry bow and had the ice grenades and stuff um, and then suddenly hit this enemy that was just uh, you know with any other build would seem impossible (laughs) and with my build was still incredibly brutally difficult because hanging back and throwing a turret doesn't work when it can just produce infinite flying enemies that can chase you down and fighting those things you can just about do it but you're always you're usually going to lose some health or you're going to Uh, It's going to be a struggle, and it can just do that all day, so you can't really get into that situation where you're just killing the things that it produces. You have to get to the the thing itself. Um, And that's terrifying, because it can also drop grenades on you, and right around it are just endless bats. Um, And my infantry bow that does critical hits at point blank range, whenever you do a critical hit, it goes into slow motion. So I'd be, like, running in, dropping down to this thing's level, throwing an ice grenade at it, dropping down a turret to try and hurt it, um, hitting it with my daggers, and then double jumping back out as the bats all spewed out after me, frantically, like, firing arrows at them and trying to freeze them, and then jumping off a ledge, because you just have to get as much distance as you can to kind of give yourself some space to deal with them. And then while I'm jumping off the ledge and sailing through the air, shooting with my bow, and every time it hits, because they're flying right in my face... It's Point blank range, so it's a critical hit, so it goes into slow motion. So you're <laughs> diving through the air and every now, like, firing, like, ten arrows, each of which goes into slow motion and kills the thing. <laughs> just, like, fucking amazing. And then I died. Because <laughs> it was really, really hard. It sounds more like Diablo than Dark Souls. Yeah. When the Necromancer thing was announced, um, uh, I, you know, had just been playing Dead Cells at that time, and I just suddenly thought, like, I think I want Diablo to be like Dead Cells now. <laughs> it just... Like the combat is just really kind of meaty, and and every enemy feels substantial, even when you get to the point where you can easily defeat them. And I sometimes feel with Diablo like they're so cannon foddery and so kind of um uh they just kind of float away when you attack them, <laughs> like the weaker <laughs> enemies. Anyway,
0: they are until then. They're not, I guess. When you get like the thing Diablo does, or Diablo three does with the stacked modifiers on high level enemies, where it's like, oh, this yeah. guy is just oh, yeah. going to you know you're fucked basically because he's terrible there's one guy who's gold and leaves trail of fire
1: behind him and is creating infinitely spilling lasers and you know. yeah I love the guys who chain uh, they must get together beforehand and like chain each other up with fire chains and it must be like quite an organisational process for them to like, get that all set up <laughs> remember and who your whatever. buddy is oh, no not you too <laughs> yeah don't wonder off the fire chains will bring you back <laughs> Yeah, I, I played Dead Cells a bit at um, PC Game Weekender and immediately loved it because uh, I just loved the pixel art and mm. how it looks as well, which it's got over cave places, which is very, um uh I don't know how to describe it. Rudimentary? Rudimentary, yes, perfect. It's very <laughs> spunky one. <laughs> yeah, but worse. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's got a strange tone, actually, because it kind of, yeah, it is pixel art, and it's very kind of I would call it blurry pixel art. Everything's there's loads of shaders going on, there's loads of filters and things, and um, uh, your head is very indistinct. It's kind of like a point of light almost. Um, and in fact, it when you when you start the game, it's not there. <laughs> it kind <laughs> of grows out of you uh, in a weird way. I guess maybe it's a cell. I don't really think about it. Um, but it has a strange tone because it's very dark and gothic, and the, the level the, the settings for levels are you know like there are literally two different kinds of sewer <laughs> uh, and the rest is castles and crypts. Uh, so it's incredibly traditional. Um, but then it also has like a weird strain of humor in it, like not necessarily in a good way. <laughs> it's a little bit um, uh, pop culture reference-y. Like mm. there's a pair of sandals that let you kick people and drop them and the tagline on them is, this is Dead Cells, all in capital letters. Right. Like that this is Sparta thing. And it's like, mm. it's not... It's not funny, but it is a joke.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is a. Oh god, I was about to say ten years old, but I suspect that's wrong. Who knows? Someone does.
2: <laughs> Probably
4: got twenty years. No. Fifteen.
0: Fifteen, maybe. <clears throat>
3: really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the. You can also. This is completely unrelated to everything else, but you can select your diet in the options menu hmm. and that determines uh, they're very rare, but there are health pickups. And uh, I completely forgot I'd done this, but I, when I saw the option in the menu, when I was just setting up like sound volume and stuff, uh, I looked at the options and it was like uh, omnivore, vegetarian, vegan, fruitarian, uh, monster. And so of course I chose monster <laughs> and I didn't think about it again. But um, when I, you know, played a bunch and then went back to that menu, I remembered that I'd selected monster and then thought, Oh, that's why I keep picking up, like, guts. <laughs> that's why this whole game I've just been eating guts for health. because I told it I was a monster. And so i switched it to fruitarian now and I'm just finding cherries. <laughs> it's good.
0: <laughs> all in all Dead Cells. Yep. yeah. I just see Tom mentioning that it was at the weekend. that made me click. That was the game everyone was going on about at the weekend. Eh? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of buzz around it. Ah. Now. Yeah. Right, that's
1: why, yeah. Really satisfying combat. Like, immediately satisfying uh like hitting a thing feels really nice in it mm. yeah which is what you don't necessarily get from cave places and they explode into gems which you do get from cave places <laughs> <laughs> hooray
0: that uh you know two column diagram we're drawing or <laughs> <laughs> well, you and Graham have been drawing
1: coming in handy Tom S hello have you been up to? Uh, let's start with Tekken 7. Okay. To completely change genre and tone in it. <laughs> it was also
0: at the PC Gamer Weekender. It was. There you go. There's a segue. It's not important. Uh,
1: the PCs that they were supposed to be on broke, so we had to get in an arcade machine. And then people were all tweeting snarky about it, like, oh, it's supposed to be a PC gaming show. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's out now. In summary, Tekken 7. <laughs> Tekken 7 um, is, like, it should be the kind of accessible counterpoint to Street Fighter. Um, which I tried to learn last year, uh, but found it just such a... Uh, so irritating to pull off just the most basic kind of Hadouken or... In, in Street Fighter? Um, yeah. Uh, the towards down, down towards... The quarter circle and stuff. Uh, all that stuff. Like, I, I can't be fucked with that anymore, <laughs> mm. <laughs> I've discovered. And I actually... Yeah, I, I got like a, a stick thing from the office um, and tried to do it. like, And it was easier but I I kind of wanted just to be able to execute what was in my mind rather than having to go through this muscle memory Mm. learning process which I just don't care about anymore and don't really have the time to do Um, and Tekken should offer that, it does offer that if you put a lot of time into it Uh, but holy crap they hide it behind a story mode that is just utter utter (laughs) drivel, absolutely (laughs) abysmal story mode which is all cutscenes that really get into the lore of Tekken uh, like, Heihachi and his son, and like, the whole devil lineage that goes back generations, and then like, you know, oh, it's, which is fucking stupid anyway. But <laughs> uh, it's not stupid in t- an entertaining way, because it just goes on and on and on, and in such a self-serious way that it's, it's infuriating. And the fights themselves are like, one round, in a, a kind of, a, a burning building or some set piece. And then you don't even have to do any moves, because it gives you shortcut button presses to do the attacks. So if you want to do like a like an upcut or a fireball, well, you don't get that many fireballs in Tekken, but a kind of special move, you hold down the special move button and then press the face button like Y or B to do that move in story mode, and it ends up just being it feels like you're just not playing the game at all, and it's also teaching you nothing about how the game actually works when you go into a competitive environment. Uh, so it's 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 got no tutorials. <laughs> it's got a training mode where you can kind of go through and in, in, like incredibly long list move list and if you want to know, you can do them one by one to learn how each character works there's no sense of kind of what each character does or what they're mm. called vibe is or the styles or how you're supposed to play them there's no hooks at all for new players which for a system like a common system like tekken which is way more accessible and readable um for people like me than something like street fighter feels like there's a huge missed opportunity there and so i've actually made it it feels like um
0: injustice 2 just came out and that's Seems to, mm. people seem to like that, and never n- sorry, Nether Realm, not never Realm. Uh, so, who the people who also did the new Mortal Kombat game seem to have carved out that niche for themselves. Now is like we make the silly, spectacular fighting games that you yeah. play if, if Street Fighter is intimidating,
1: which are still competitive if you're but mm. at my totally. level and you know up to probably like an intermediate level, and just because a, a, a beat up lacks that you know top tier esports Street Fighter level thing. Like, it could still be really fun, especially, like, if you're having a, like, an evening around with friends and stuff. We got quite a lot of mileage out of Injustice in the old flat. We did, it was brilliant, it was perfect for that. And, you know, Tekken is 100% should be that game. Mm. And the game they've made isn't really that. Like... That's a shame. <laughs> Which is a shame. Uh, though, I'd, I'd say that, like, having played quite a lot of it, because I am quite a fan of the Tekken series, I've played them since, like, two, Um it is still good, a good Tekken game, and it's still kind of a a fun, interesting game about easy to execute manoeuvres that let you just make decisions without having to think too much about the actual physical act of doing a Mm. a move. Uh, And there's still lots of, you know, instinctive, interesting stuff about, you know, keeping your distance and learning the distances that different characters can affect and that kind of thing. Um, So, yeah, it's it's been an interesting experience to go back to it. Weirdly nostalgic as well, because you see all the same characters come back, but in slightly different haircuts. Um, So Paul is still in it. The guy with the enormously tall hair, like mm. two foot tall. He's got a big punch. That like Marge Simpson. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really butch Marge Simpson. Yeah, that's that's what Paul's like. <laughs> uh, there's a panda in it. You can be a panda. Could, you can punch a box. you be a kangaroo. Uh, I could. Mm, no, I don't think you can be in this one unless it's like a skin change. Mm. Can you be like a little dinosaur man? No, gone is gone. Gone is gone. Yep. Thank <laughs> God. The dinosaur's uh, called Gone. Okay. There's like, uh, uh, a. Tiny, two-foot-tall, orange dinosaur called Gon, who was the most irritating character. The best character in Tekken (laughs) (laughs) Also the best character, probably, (laughs) in Tekken 3 or whatever it was. Uh, No no sign of him, thank goodness. Do
3: you think they had
1: trouble in China um, uh, with beating up a panda? Well, they never have historically, but (laughs) the panda's been there for generations of Tekken. Because didn't World of
3: Warcraft get into trouble? Yeah, well, well, it delayed.
1: um, Fun World of Warcraft
0: fact that I discovered when I interviewed Jeff Kaplan recently, weirdly. Mm -hmm um was that the Panda race, Pandaren, was supposed to be the alliance race in the first expansion, um uh Burning Crusade. Mm-hmm. And when that and they got quite a long way with making that uh when they were told that they couldn't do it due to for cultural sensitivity issues. <laughs> um at which point they had to find something else, so they mm-hmm. added the Draenei instead. Right. So and then subsequently something changed and you know, five, six years later, however long it was, Mr. Pandaria added them. But, yeah, who knew?
3: So China just sort of... I think there or? might have
0: been some... I don't know. I think I think you, it's not you can't depict pandas at all. It's something about the context in which they're depicted.
3: Hmm. Um, you how to be eye in the world first. <laughs> maybe the pandas
4: do. were really racist in that version of the game, <laughs> you know? Maybe they were just dicks.
0: <laughs> yeah, God knows. I mean, like... <laughs> I mean, well, they massive. are, they are, they are depicted as, like, drunken brawlers, like, they're, the hmm. brewmasters of, of hmm. Warcraft, so maybe that was part, I I'm, I'm completely speculating, I have no idea. Um but obviously there's something, something is fine about Tekken that isn't, wasn't fine about
1: Sam Didier's panda people. Hmm. Yeah, it's hard to tell why, because, you know, Butch Marge Simpson beating the shit out for panda isn't it? a great <laughs> <it's> a great, <laughs> great image really. Not good optics. Well
4: maybe it would <laughs> just be like, Well if the person playing the panda were better but, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like yeah. get good panda, you know, yeah, rather yeah, yeah. than the
3: panda deserves this China. Like Come the on. Pa-
4: well, no, but panda the panda, has, panda has like the tools uh, uh, to free itself from this situation, <laughs> yeah. whereas it's
1: very much like real pandas, you know, <laughs> they can't be bothered. <laughs> they have all the tools Quite necessary to not be in the situation they're in, but they just decide not to. <laughs>
0: exactly,
3: <laughs> lazy. Pandas. They'd rather
1: do forward rolls and eat. What, uh, who what who good wouldn't? thing about uh, taking, uh, seven? Actually, is the treasure mode. Uh, you can uh, fight. Uh, in like a treasure? string of people for treasure that you put on your character, and it can range from like neon glasses to like wearing a, a, a kangaroo mask on your head, or just complete outfit changes. Could you be a
3: panda with a kangaroo mask? On?
1: Uh, I believe so. Yep, that seems legit. <laughs> <laughs> that you could do in that game, uh, and that's really fun actually because it just kind of for, you know the, this is incredibly self-serious story mode, and when you actually go into treasure mode, it undermines all that. And when you go online, everyone has just like ridiculous versions of characters. Like I thought like a, a mostly naked boxer with with an actual stag's head. Uh, <laughs> and I, I didn't even recognise which character it was to start with, but it was deeply strange <laughs> and very, very entertaining. So something good to go it. Nice. Mm.
2: What else
1: have you been playing, Tom? Uh, I've also been playing Nex Machina. Have I said that right? Who knows? Who knows? Nex Machina, which is a twin-stick shooter that was released this week, and it's fucking brilliant. Hmm. Really, really great uh, game about playing a man in a helmet who can shoot infinite lasers, fending off infinite waves of uh, robots that can also shoot lasers uh, that mob you endlessly. Tell me more. Uh, Is well it like top-down? <laughs> uh, it's top-down. So yeah, it's like a bullet hell type deal. Uh, but on like little arenas that are just probably slightly slight, larger than the size of your monitor, and then when you've uh, and there are humans wandering around with these, these kind of burly lost dudes in green outlines and when you plough into them you rescue them and uh, a woman goes hostage saved and she goes saved <laughs> uh, it's really I've not figured out why really safe yet that hostage <laughs> saved uh, him right in the hostage, hostage saved uh, and uh, the faster you collect the hostages you get a multiplier for that which is exciting then you get a multiplier for killing things which is even more exciting and there are just lasers everywhere all the time and you, it, it's really uh, it's brilliantly designed because you can tell when a, like a shmup like this is good because you feel as though you're just on the edge of spiraling out of control. You're just mm. really, you're in the zone and you're, you know, just dodging impossible odds. and there are just a hundred things on the screen swarming towards you and you're somehow finding a way out and around the corner. And, uh, then you you find a, a super bomb and you let that go and everything explodes. And it's just this kind of cathartic, but really intense, almost like trance inducing, uh, movement of colors and lights that is really exciting and that is beautifully paced because what you've cleared, one little kind of broom, uh, your dude blasts off and just goes around a corner and the, the kind of geometry of the world makes no sense you're just kind of going like a cube round this giant cube one moment and then down underground for another uh going from room to room and it gives you these little fast bursts of like five minutes of intensity then a little kind of 30 seconds of relax and then back into it for five minutes and it's uh it's just absolutely fantastic and absolutely loving it it's the best one of these i've played in years rad yeah. that was awesome very very good
4: it was Nex Machina,
1: right? Nex yes. Machina.
0: Nex, as in Nex, as in N E X, or Nex, as in N E C K S. N X Deus Nex. Nex, Nex
1: Machina. Yeah, exactly. Deus Nex. <laughs> uh, the other thing to say about it is that all its explosions are, are voxel-driven, and because modern Four. CPUs can make fucking zillions of voxels, that's some of the most satisfying blocky explosions in uh, a game i played in ages. Nice. Very, very good. Who's, I... I can't remember at all. There's someone who's good at this stuff as well. Someone good at this. <laughs> yeah, Show us people. <laughs> awesome. Hmm. That sounds great. What have you been playing, Chris? Um, so,
0: well, uh, Pip and I have been playing the same thing, or a little bit of the same thing, so we could talk about that. So it came out a couple of weeks ago, which is uh, Dota 2's PvE mode, which... Uh, yeah, versus... Environment... environment? environment it seems
3: weird like you're really punching the grass or yeah grass <laughs> <other> puncher <enemies. laughs> um, it's called
0: actually well it's called siltbreaker so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> literally closer to the truth uh, siltbreaker is a guy uh, a big fish guy who's bad um, but um, law man it's law um, but essentially this is a something that they sort of touted that was coming with this year's uh, international battle pass which is um, the sort of mixed kind of betting book esports compendium thing they released to raise money for the international so it is a paid thing the minimum you pay for it is like and seven
4: Valve it's not just to raise money for no, the international <laughs> uh, no of
0: course um, so 30% of <laughs> it goes to the international prize pool also, or the other way around
4: 25% usually
2: okay
0: um, yeah so some proportion of it goes to the international prize pool I thought it was 30 but maybe I'm getting a bit confused with Steam not usually um, and um and yeah, so, um, it's, they advertised it as, as a sort of, it's, this is act one of a multi-part sort of co-op challenge mode. And Dota has had things like this before, like seasonal events, like wave survival and stuff against mm. minions and things. And this is the most substantial thing they've done. Um, uh, it's really nicely presented initially in the, um, you, it incorporates, they've been doing brilliant comics for Dota for a long time, because they do really great comics for TF2 as well. It's just something Valve do weirdly well. Yeah. Um, for the first time, they brought them into the game client so that before you click queue for the first time, you can read through a comic that explains why you're doing what you're doing. <laughs> if you want to, or you don't have to, or while you're queuing for the game. Um, and then there's loads of, loads of new UI and animations, a huge map that this thing takes place on as you sort of roam with your party of four from, like, through Forest doing quests, MMO-style quests. It's gained an MMO-style quest UI. Like, there's loads of work and, like, loads of new animations and new monsters and enemies and and things, um, which is obviously pretty impressive. However, and it's a huge however, I think they have, and I see if you agree, Pip, I think they've pitched the entire thing at completely the wrong difficulty level.
3: Too hard or too it's easy?
0: It's absolutely nails hard. <laughs> no. like, like it had the potential, I think, of being like a way in for Dota. Yeah, like just I was kind thinking of thinking that. like yeah, yeah. this. Okay. Nope. <laughs> oh, nice. Like it's um, so the best way I describe it is, it feels like they have been playing <clears throat> MMO raids and specifically Destiny. Weirdly, you heard mm-hmm. that feeling like someone at Valve was like, "I want to make a Destiny raid." With lots of different boss mechanics and things that happen, in it, and a, a bit with traps, and a bit with this, and a bit with that. Mm. But they've the only version they've made is the nightmare difficulty level <laughs> mega hard one, um, and it would be a really easy thing to have not gotten wrong. Um, I think because um, so there's a bunch of things that are frustrating by the way it's designed. One is that a it's it's mega hard. Like the first enemies that you encounter in the game. Um, when you first sort of aggro them, they have like a kind of like a slam attack and that will easily take almost like four fifths of your health bar in one go and they come in groups of three. So if you charge into the first group of enemies and think you'll just tank whatever they do initially, you'll instantly die. It'll kill four of you, like straight away. Like you need to have a plan for kiting enemies properly, like immediately or you'll just die. Mm. But also every single player has a limited number of lives, which is how many times they can be revived. And the entire party can run out very, very easily, and you only get new lives at certain points. And if you run out, that's it, you're over, you have to go back to the very, very start. And a complete run takes easily the better part of an hour or so. So if you wipe totally on a boss, like, it took me a long time to see the third boss, but it's a grind every time to get back to him. Because it's so hard, like an MMO, you kind of have to cheese every encounter, like, you know, you can't pick for the entire pool of those Heroes. There's a limited set that they've designed for this. Mm-hmm. They haven't changed anything about those heroes, but, you know, there's a pool that are approved for use. And it feels like there are right choices out of that lot because some of them can handle those situations better or can cheese certain things particularly well. Uh, and you do get gold and can pick, buy items your character, like in the main game. But some of those items feel, like, horrifyingly mandatory. Because they allow, they enable cheeses that make things much easier. And you only get, like, a reward for playing, like, a, uh, a cosmetic item or something if you win. Which you, I never have. And so, like, I don't know if it's much your experience, but, like, when we first played it, I think we were all taken aback by, like, we were so d- dived into it. Like, they've added the fun thing. Let's jump in. And yeah. then it was just... <laughs> it
3: was just and smacked in
4: the face.
2: Yeah,
3: horrible.
4: I don't know, because I played it before um just once on my own because i was writing the news story for work and needed to dip in and it it's not so much the difficulty that i object to it's boring it's (laughs) actually dull to do it's dull to grind your head against it's dull to play and i think that's the part that i find unforgivable like it's not it doesn't reward you coming back in and trying again, and there's no feeling of, oh, but it's a nice environment to explore, or it's a fun setup. What it does is it drags you round a sort of dull, rainy forest full of waves of enemies that aren't very interesting to fight, while your teammates, if they're not on voice comms with you, they will just ping the map. It's the worst thing for just encouraging people to map ping because it's like, oh, we should go over here and you'll just get ping, 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 ping until you do someone's bidding. And then no one wants to play sport. No one ever wants to play sport. They all want healing. Um, and then you just sort of go to... Oh, it's just so thankless and miserable, I thought. <laughs> But it sounds like you've got a lot further, and you've been compelled to go back in. I, I
0: got. I, I was curious, so I. I, I realized the, as soon as we played it the first time, um, and we wiped horribly on the first boss. Um, I realized, oh, this isn't something you play for fun. This is something <laughs> you go and read the guide. No, I see.
3: no fun. Eh? <laughs> you, you go
0: and read the guide That someone has done on Reddit. You read the mega thread of people f- figuring out what works, doing the kind of we'll break it down, we'll figure it out find the nice friendly person who's written the 500 word. This is how I got to the end. It's actually a lot like trying to crack a raid. Like, you know, it's that kind of like this character and this, you know, pick this character, make sure every team member pulls loot on them so they can get this item fast. This will enable this cheese on this boss, which will give you this thing. And they kind of find the the lock and key. And that's, I think I don't mind that school of, of hardcore co-op design. But I don't mind it when it sits on top of a game that offers you other things to do that lead you up to that point. Like, that kind of difficulty is most often found in MMOs where there's a vast other game. And the very hardcore kind of raiding pinnacle is there Mm -hmm. for people who really want to commit to it and really want to find it. And often those raids are available in, like, lower difficulty settings as well. But some people enjoy the challenge of, like, how do we break the one that the developers have thought we can't do, you know? So I get that. But this feels like it's only that. And because Dota's other mode is, like, the most unforgiving <laughs> multiplayer game in the world, it's like, there's no, there is no kind of, like, knockabout, you know, if, it shows that there's potential, I think, for a knockabout co-op mode in Dota. But I don't know why, like, I don't know why it wasn't like, you can play it and it has a moderate difficulty and there's no life limit restrictions, so you can play it with your friends and you will see the entire thing if you persist. Um, but if you want the good rewards, like the, the rare cosmetics or something, mm. then you have to beat it on hard yeah. mode. That would have been fine. I don't know why it's, it's only hard mode. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like that seems like that's such a huge misstep to me. And admittedly, this is only like part one of X, two, three, don't know. Two, I
2: think.
0: Is it two? I it felt like two it. just based on the timing of it. Because I think it expires as well when the international goes yeah, away. Yeah, part
4: two is next month, I think. Or the end of this month.
0: Right. Um... But yeah, it, it just, it's a strange missed opportunity. Cause actually like, you know, you know, the version of Dota that Pip still got on your laptop is to preserve a PvE event called Wraith Night, which was genuinely fun. Which was just, which was just wave survival, mm. which is in this as one of the boss fights, but simple wave survival with sort of variable waves of monsters was fine. Cause it, it was immediate. You got into it straight away. Like, um, you know, the, the new environmental design and stuff in this is, is lovely, but it's also, as Pip says, very bleak. Like, the first environment is, like, a, it's all set at night and the first environment is, like, a rainy forest and you go up to, like, the mountains and you go into, like, a spider cave and a temple full of traps that shoot blue fire at you and, and stuff like that. Um None of it is, like, you know, amazing to look at. And and particularly because, um like, this year, every international has a theme. Well, actually, no. Previously, they've had a color. Well, last year was desert because it was gold and desert themed But like,
4: they've they've had a color for years, and then they've now started fleshing that out because the battle passes got so enormous. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. So, yes, last year's color was gold, and that came with like desert themed stuff. And this year's Mm -hmm. color is like turquoise, and it's all ocean themed stuff. So the new terrain, so which is like basically terrain in Dota is like a skin for the map because the map never changes, but you can get like a total skin. Pip, you did an article about. The new one, because it's under the sea, which is an amazing thing to do to that map, which is just to put the entire thing under the sea, basically. Well. And done one which is like a hedge maze, like that kind of thing. It looks yeah, really nice.
3: And um, Starcraft 2 as well, I noticed when I watching some pro games, some of them are just underwater, and yeah. it affects <laughs> nothing except when things die, the ragdolls float up towards the camera. <laughs> <Yeah. Aww. laughs> that's
0: awesome. There's I one know. zero-g destiny map where that happens, where anything that's still oh, alive yes. doesn't yeah. Does not just ragdoll, but things that have died just stop to float off? As, in, as if, as if gravity is a function <laughs> of being alive.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That PPP map, where it's full of really narrow corridors, and uh, they're just full of corpses. In some fights, it's quite strange. Yeah, it's great. Uh, is it, this is um, definitely a missed opportunity for, for me because I, I played loads of um, kind of skirmish versus CPU matches of Dota, just trying to get into what it was. And I really enjoy the way it feels and plays, and how responsive it is, and the abilities are exciting to use. And I remember just like webbing up half the map as Broodmother mm. against the CPU—really, mm. really fun. And I'd love them to, or someone, modders perhaps, to make some more accessible games that you know really play into the I tw- those characters.
4: I actually have like a. a- like a a way of feeding you things that people have made you mm-hmm. know like different game modes and things just using the assets which is kind of interesting so it might be worth like having a poke around that if you're yeah. interested God, because, it. yeah yeah but like i just i oh, it's so annoying with this so this salt breaker thing really ground my gears. Is that a phrase? That's yeah, a,
3: phrase. That a phrase. Yeah, I thought you were going to say ground my goat just because you <laughs> know, <laughs> <laughs> mixed
4: phrases. But, um yeah, I think it's just that frustrating thing of it, it feels like I mean, Dota has a reputation of being this difficult thing that, you know, doesn't want you to play it and you have Mm -hmm. to sort of get in there despite its best efforts in a lot of ways. But with things like this, with things that are supposed to be this fun, knockabout thing that you could feasibly play with strangers, if it seems like, and... You know, that are, are that are part of a reward system of buying into a thing that profits their company. It's like, oh, come on. Could you not have found a way to make it accessible to everyone who plays your game mm. or who has an interest in this?
0: Weirdly, I find it easier to play with strangers than with friends, but only because with strangers, like, the stranger thing in Dota is, like, typically we are crazy about the orthodoxy we are going to play this completely correctly which is fine for this because there is one way to play solar <laughs> basically um with friends you get like i would like to play the character that i like nope <laughs> like we play these characters, we do it in this way, and this is how we have fun. Like that's the kind of game it is. Um
4: this is fun in really heavy. Questions. Well, this is how we get hats. <laughs> I just uh, I'm done with hats. Oh, uh, got, I'm I'm a, I want my water terrain. I, and I'm I, am, done. I am. I My <laughs> house. Do you have any idea what that water terrain takes? <laughs> like this is not not a commitment. It's just I. There have not been Dota clothes I've wanted in so long. Just wow. don't care.
0: I am at hat capacity. I have to say, like I've got some of the characters now. Like I have any character that's received like a big rare item every year for the last four years, just looks like a fucking Liberace supernova now <laughs> in my in my wardrobe. Like, do it's, you have um,
3: any hats so fancy that you would have a separate vehicle to drive them to where you're going?
2: Like yes, the Queen does. Absolutely, <laughs> I
0: have a I have a Dota two staff that actually um. I could sell for more than the cost of a cheap car. Oh, so, right. like, if I did that, uh, well, so I, you could buy a cheaper car to drive it replacements <laughs> hypothetically, like a crown.
2: God.
0: Um, yeah, no, it is a missed opportunity. I just, it, 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 it's, it's not even that, it's just, it's it's literally a difficulty setting away from being fine. Mm. Like, I think, on balance.
3: When you're talking about, like, uh, wave defense in Dota, suddenly we realize, like, the closest thing I have really enjoyed to Dota is probably Dawn of War Two's Last Stand. Yeah, exactly. Um, fits perfectly. I feel like that with Dota Heroes is what would be up for. It's one of my yeah. favourite games. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's what Wraith Knight basically was. Like, um, right. like that's mm. essentially what that was. Is um, that
3: like a uh, thing that's over now? You can't yeah, yeah, that was anymore. years
0: ago.
4: So yeah, it was like, it was their Christmas event one year and I missed the one... I think it was two years before that because there was an amazing event called The Grieveling and then there was a year where they just didn't do The Grieveling and everyone was sad. And then they did Wraith Night, I think. But The Grieveling was amazing because the river froze over and you were all like scrambling around trying to like find your footing and you had little whistles that you could blow to turn into these like weird grievel creatures and like, you got weird themed loot and like Actually, it candy, was I think, it or was or?
0: It, it wasn't a year gap. It was Grieveling, and the next year was Wraith Knight. But what they did was they announced the Grieveling, and then they had the Grieveling cancelled by a character in Dota, <laughs> so that the Wraith Knight happened instead, because that was how they got out of a potential copyright issue with Blizzard. Hmm.
4: But I thought there was a year where they didn't do anything, which is why everyone kicked off. That was Diretide. Oh, okay. So
0: that's because they missed the Halloween event. Uh. <sighs> It was the year—the year of Knight, It was the year they missed Dietide.
3: and then they totally uh, didn't. They actually do something in the end because the backlash was so extreme. Like it was just like well, we thought we could do nothing, but actually, you, you show us. I can't remember can't. if
4: that was them or whether that was like I don't know WildStar or something. Like I know that there was that, or maybe it's that there have been more than one <laughs> attempt by a video game company to not. Do a frivolous event that their fans have then <laughs> completely imploded over. Although Dota never seems to get into like Valentine's Day and other games really do.
0: No, it doesn't. It does. It does Chinese New New Year a lot more. It was the first game mm. I think I saw commit a lot to Chinese New Year yeah, uh, instead Chinese of Valentine's Day, instead of Valentine's Day. Mm. Um, uh, Overwatch does it now as well but I think that's maybe I think Dota was a little bit ahead of go. Dota's always had a huge audience in China so I don't think it's necessarily surprising that they would prioritize that
3: hmm. It sounds actually like it's got a little bit of a um, similar relationship between like Dota and China as there is between StarCraft and Korea where um, you know, both the StarCraft games are wildly popular in Korea and more popular in Korea than anywhere else um, and same for Dota and China but uh, from what I hear, Dota 1 is still massively popular in China. Yeah, definitely. Whereas mm. the rest of the world, I think it's probably been replaced. The
4: to use that, I think. Yeah. yeah I and
3: the same with StarCraft, I think. Like, it feels like StarCraft 2, you know, just talking to it, you know, any like PC gamers audience, for example. Um, uh, I feel like if any of them are playing StarCraft, it's probably StarCraft 2. Whereas in Korea, it's a fair bet any given StarCraft player might still be playing StarCraft 1.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a shame because. You know, it was an opportunity for them to do something mm. better than they've done. But it feels like it's not the kind of mistake you make by accident. It felt like they, this is what they decided.
3: On all mistakes by accident. <laughs> yeah,
0: that was a stupid thing to say. You know what I mean, right? Like it's not like
4: I don't think an they oversight. think it's a mistake.
0: Yeah, I think they right, wanted yeah. to make a hardcore MMO raid for Dota, but weirdly yeah. I think they almost picked the wrong time to do all this surrounding story stuff right. Because they got that right. Like there's even a nice thing where when you pick your character you get a You get given a contract, like that billows up Mm. in the screen. It's a big 3D thing with magic text on (laughs) it. And you have to click the bottom. And it's only when you click the bottom of it to continue that you realize that what you're looking at in first person for the first time is a teleport scroll. And you've never (laughs) seen one before. (laughs) And the whole thing starts to it starts to like glow and you start to hear the TP sound effect, which if you've played Dota Frame at the time, is drilled into your brain, like, oh shit, that's what's happening. And you warp into the map. (laughs) And like it's such a neat idea. And if it was attached to something that was because, like, and I think as soon as we're into it, we're like, I'm, oh, you know, I'm into this. Like, there's a great little gag, like, immediately where you're walking through this jungle and you see these two, like, merchants. It's the first shopkeeper that you encounter and another one who's injured. And you can buy your first items there and stuff and talk to them. Um, and the guy who's injured is in deny range. So if a character has lost more than half of their health, a friendly character, you can, you can attack them to kill them and deny them to your opponent, which has no use in this mode whatsoever. <laughs> but because that guy's being hurt and is by the side of the road, his heart, his health bar is, I think, just less, just under half. And so like someone just, I'll try this. Cause it's just automatic. Like he's flagged as an ally, but just like bang. <laughs> he just murder him by the side of the road and the little deny flag pops up over <laughs> his head. And it's just That's like really little like that. Uh, there's such, there's, there is potential in doing something like this that mm. plays with Dota's vocabulary, but I just feel like just, it just shouldn't be this thing where you go into the woods the first bear that you hit fucks you up with one massive clap of its hands its bear paws Mm. and then every time you clear a camp of bears infinite wolves come out of the jungle (laughs) and the big wolves they just
4: come out of the jungle even if you haven't killed anything they're just there all the
2: bloody time and they fire
0: a uh they fire their claws out of their faces
1: at you. <laughs> <laughs> Shit.
0: <laughs> and it does infinite damage. It's just wow. wild. a lot of it, what they've built and what they want it to be is like about dodging skill shots yeah. and like anticipating skill shots but a lot of it has become like kiting things in a straight line and there's one particular character who's very good at dealing with things in a straight line and that character is fucking amazing and is normally a support in Dota and in, mm. in, and in uh in Silk Breaker, is just the king of the earth. <laughs> like, um
4: I don't know. I think I just really object to it because for me, under the sea is just such a fun sounding thing. Mm-hmm. And like it's also a really common prom theme. So it's like, <laughs> why would you not make a fun thing for people to like <laughs> enjoy and hang out during in a social way? Like, what is what is your damage? Like, why have you made it about the worst parts of being under the sea, like the pressure, drowning, and the, and the death. And the you dogs know? That
1: fire claws out of their <laughs> I
4: know. It's weird, those like weird actually, animals yeah, that will mess you up.
0: Because given that this year's theme is under the sea, they had they added under the sea terrain, and the entire plot is about someone escaping from an undersea prison. Mm. It's conspicuous that the entire thing is set above ground.
4: <laughs> Even mm. in some
0: cases, in the mountains. <laughs> like,
4: it's upsetting.
0: Yeah, I can understand my pips crossed about this.
4: Mm. Very upsetting. Mm. I want more octopuses. Shall we
3: do questions?
0: Yes. Although, we should note that it's extremely hot. <laughs> we're all a bit tired. And this combination of factors, nothing to do with gin, has made us all a bit stupid. <laughs> so we're gonna do a kind of, uh, a flash cut of questions that we can think of answers for. Mm. In the time before we all melt <laughs> Terrence writes Worst genre name He suggests roguelite like Doom clone RPG
3: uh, I've got to suggest MOBA
4: I was going to yep. go over. Yeah. yeah.
3: Multiplayer online battle arena. It's like a list of the four least relevant words to that, <laughs> or least yeah. least unique things about it's that. It's
0: terrible. It might as well be gameplay, 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 but gameplay.
3: Isn't Quake a multiplayer online yes. battle arena?
0: <laughs> FIFA is a multiplayer online battle arena of sorts.
3: I actually, I really have a special hatred for MMO. Just because there's no noun in there, there are all letters in Massimo online. There's Is no ac- yeah Massimo online. What
0: mm. Edge insists upon, yeah. Um in their style. Guy.
4: Isn't it usually Mogherini? Mogherini, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put, put that's a K in there. I don't
3: know where that K came from. I use, mm. I
1: use the word uh, Shmuck earlier. Which is also terrible. <laughs> Which mm. is like it's a, a shortening of shoot them up, and Which is a shortening many of, of shoot ups. them up. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I
4: don't know. I think that once they get beyond a a certain, you must shoot them up. <laughs> beyond a certain level of ridiculous, maybe they'll just become funny again. Like mm. there is something endearing about how non-specific moba manages to be, and so. <laughs> And and I really like how like is now doubling down with roguelike-like yeah. for things that are sort of roguelikes but going to incite comment threads about how they're actually not,
3: because yeah. blah, blah, blah. And roguelikes. Mm. The, the problem is that Rogue had a uh, large number of games that were genuinely a lot like it. Like There really mm. were a lot of roguelike games. <laughs> it was, yeah. There was probably no better word for them. Um, and now there are a whole load of games that are loosely inspired by that, but radically different in like 70% of, uh, all their other
1: features. Action RPG? That's mm. rubbish. Mm. Action game, to be honest. I think
3: actually, didn't Valve just <laughs> go an action RPG? Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, Action RTS. Uh oh, right. I don't <laughs> really Which enjoy
4: things yeah. mm. like, uh, when people are trying to talk about like open world or because they're mm. not that Sandbox open and and wildly misapplied <laughs> like all of those things i can just think of about a million other ways that i would big map. prefer to describe them <laughs> based around how they feel or how um you know different elements of them play out but because of the conventions of writing about it if you don't say it's an third-person, I don't know, sandbox adventure. Even though that feels like it conveys nothing, it it seems to be enough meaning to people that you'd have Mm. to still put it in.
1: Assassin's (laughs) Creed-like.
4: God. I think that
1: uh, RTS is good, but I think possibly it's good because the RTS RTS genre is so conservative. Yeah. You know, so free of experimentation and cross-pollination with other types of genre, so it's very defined. Similarly, fighting... um, Mm.
3: Adventure game is really bad. Mm. We all accept yeah, it now, but actually that, yeah, now. like, yeah. is Uncharted not an adventure game? <laughs> mm.
0: Yeah, and weirdly, like, point-and-click adventure is too limited because there are mm. plenty of games that are kind of like that, but you yeah. don't do the actual action of and clicking. they really
3: like, I would describe the two essential features of that as being, like, story-driven and puzzle-based. Mm.
4: Like, uh, it's <laughs> weird because as somebody whose history, certainly work history, is still predominantly not in the games industry and I've got big, you know, Gaps in when I was actively playing video games, even though I was still, you know, generally enjoying them and going back to them. Um, it's it's weird to now be in a position where I need to pluck these genres out of the air because <laughs> they are so nebulous that it's a struggle. And you guys seem to do it quite easily because you have that literacy with the actual specifics or the the lineages that these games come out of. But if you if you take away a couple of steps within that or if there's like a five-year lull as i have with mm. some things it's
1: all gibberish <laughs> you suddenly
4: go hang on i don't know where that comes from so i'm not 100 percent sure that i'm applying it right because mm. even though it looks really similar to this manifestation of it it's clearly got something key that differentiates it that i'm not picking up on and you sort of have to then just ask sometimes when you're like what Mm. what genre is this trying to end up in or what you know what's the shorthand right now
3: and now we have survival which is like aren't you always trying to survive though (laughs) in most games tetris is a survival game
1: (laughs) yeah it just means game with a food mechanic in it Mm. that's what that means really sports (laughs) any
0: sports um, our next question comes from Zed who writes what are some prequels that equaled or bettered the original
3: uh, I've got to say Deus Ex Human Revolution mm. uh, not 100% equaled but very very close to as good as Deus Ex 1 which is a, about as high as watermark as you can have to, <laughs> to live up to um, I was actually reading a thread uh, it's it's like Reddit's games subreddit, which is the kind of the more discussion news oriented one, not the memey one. Um, uh, it's like their game of the week or something to discuss. And so I've just been reading a whole bunch of people's opinions of it. And that's always, I like reading those because it's, it's so long after mm. all the furore has died down that you get just a lot of like, sort of normal people just saying what they thought of what they genuinely thought of the game and there's no no one's campaigning at that point. No one's trying mm. to like oh, I'm so angry about the DRM or like <laughs> um
0: Something so, to just have an opinion. Yeah about it's stuff.
3: quite a calm discussion and uh yeah I was pleased to see that it was just almost uniformly like this game's fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it really was.
2: Mm.
4: No, I struggle enough with timelines. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Don't know other than that.
1: I'm trying to think of something, something that's genuinely better than it's. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's not a PC, but Yakuza Zero is brilliant and improves on the fight system by Yakuza.
3: Horizon Zero Dawn sounds like it's a prequel. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. But...
0: In some ways, all Assassin's Creed games are prequels to the future
3: bits. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, origins is, you know, as yeah. they get to a real prequel. Um, hmm. We shall see if that's. If that compares. The
0: next question comes from Danny, who writes, a non-PC gaming question as one of your branching outside projects. Would you ever consider doing a live tabletop RPG game? Keep walloping, he demands. <laughs> um, yes. So, um, this is something I, Chris, have thought about a lot. I don't know why I specified that now and I never had to otherwise. <laughs> um, the, there are a few things standing in the way of that happening. One is that, so I mean, I have a a pen and paper role playing group at the moment playing fantasy fights, star Wars role playing system in order to play star Wars. And while I, we have discussed potentially recording some of those things and it could be fun. um, There's a rights issue there that I don't know how to deal with (laughs) Um, because you're obviously dealing with a, a big old IP the other uh, side to this is I think there's an issue of comfort with recording uh live role play session. Um, I think it changes more about the playing of the particular game than almost any other form of recording a game being played mm-hmm. um, because people are, you know, they obviously put something of themselves into the characters and obviously that can be done spectacularly successfully if everybody wants to do it. Uh, I do really enjoy things like the Adventure Zone, uh, what they managed to turn D&D into Um but something I think about a lot is that I think often those are functionally comedy podcasts. They're functionally sort of improv comedy podcasts where the game, D&D in most cases, is actually a source of prompts for people to be funny. Mm. Which is a perfectly good basis for anything, mm. but it changes the framework. It's not really like a let's play. It's like a a comedy show, really. Yeah. Like, And so not ruling it out. Don't don't know how, when, who wants to do that, what form that would take, etc.
2: I
4: think, yeah, they require a lot of trust for people to let their guard down and actually sink into the role-playing. I have actually recorded uh, pen and paper sessions before, but it's been because I needed to write up the experience of playing them, so... You know, it's been about getting permission for the people that I was playing with, but also on the understanding that it was entirely so I could remember what we did when Mm. rather than that it would ever be published or public or anything like that. And I think pen and paper is a really interesting thing because more than any other uh, form of gaming that I have played, it has the capacity to make people really uncomfortable or sort of explore Mm-hmm. Bits of themselves or do uncomfortable things, and I think that is. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to take that away from people just by making them aware that you know, strangers will watch and judge, and
0: yeah, but I think that's sort of the factor that pushes it always towards comedy because like pedipipip role playing is either devised drama or it's improv comedy, basically, depending on which way your group ends up going, or it's a little bit of both when everyone falls over all the time, <laughs> and um. One of those things can be intensely personal and intensely, as Pip says, vulnerable-making, and the other one is a big shield.
4: Hmm. We had um, a mixed experience on that front with um, Dog Eat Dog for Shut Up and Sit Down, which is sort of a colonialism pen and paper experiment where the, the person who is, like, classed as the ruler, I think, needs to make the people who are the natives of a particular place obey commands and it's it's i can't remember the exact rule set i'll dig out the article so that we can put the link in but it it was such a profoundly uncomfortable experience that kind of started off kind of light-hearted <laughs> and quite like oh you know it's just pen and paper it's fine and then just really went to some intense places so and I'm really glad we didn't put that online it's just the article as a result and like reflecting on that experience
0: yeah so a big maybe like I've got some things I'd like to try but (coughs) yeah those are my caveats things like one-off special pods and bloodborne things and the miniatures monthly stuff is more likely in the time being Fool of a Took writes, do you ever suffer from game hopping? Lately, I found myself playing a variety of games for only 30 to 60 minutes at a time. Can you cure me?
3: <laughs> I had almost the opposite with Dead Cells and Cave Blazers, where I want to play them both, but they require a bit of a mental gear shift. Mm. I think not because they're so different, but because they're so similar. that <laughs> when you like, I went back to Cave Blazers recently, and I just couldn't pick things up because it's not the same button as it is in... Um, mm in Dead Cells, and they're similar enough that my fingers just reach for the, the thing that I was pressing in the other game, and I just eventually had to just change that control and, um, and work that way. Uh, but yeah, you and also muscle memory is a big thing, and you just kind of learn that Dead Cells is better if you stick to Dead Cells and you just get better at Dead Cells.
4: I sometimes get stuck in holding patterns, particularly with casual games for my phone. Um, so there are a few match-three games that I just really like at the moment and so I actually have about 3 I've got three of them and a colour matching game on my phone and they have that gating mechanic where you know you play a certain amount and then it refills over time your lives refill over time Um, and so I will play until I've run out of lives in one then move on to the next and just cycle between them and it can really while away some time
2: if you put
3: all of their icons next to each other they disappear
4: (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) um but yeah so that's one way of it doesn't deal with the problem but it just stacks up shorter experiences and I sometimes find that that's a nicer way of dealing with it because perhaps either you haven't found the thing that you want to play or you're just not in the right mindset to play for long stretches of time and that's when I really love the um the stuff that i find on itch.io or like the little tiny experimental games that people make and that you just pick up on i don't know the screenshot saturday hashtag on twitter or something you find out about these things and so those are actually just really lovely things where you can kind of get a hit of gaming in about maybe 20 minutes or usually less and then just move on to the next thing and it doesn't feel like, oh, why can I not get into these things? Why can I not, you know, settle down for a 40 hour RPG? What's wrong with me? It's, it's a, actually a quite freeing, oh, you know, I've played four entire games and it's not even nine o'clock. <laughs> this is brilliant.
1: I get this uh, a lot. Oh, I've had it a lot recently, actually. Uh, like The last game I probably got into on PC was Tides of Numenera. When was that released? February? February, yeah. And then um, before that, I really, really uh, enjoyed uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. That's the one that really got me absorbed, but I've been a bit of a Dead Zone since then. But I found that um, the trick is to just not play games for a bit. Mm. And then all of those like interactions that you're so used to in games, just walking around and hitting stuff has become so blasé, like, that gains novelty again. And at that moment, you know, I think that gives you the little impetus when you return to a game or actually get into a game to actually stick with it more, because it all feels new again and it feels more exciting than it would do otherwise. Um And the trouble with hopping around loads of games is so that you see more clearly what games do over and over again, you know, the cliches they fall into and the, the patterns. Um So taking a step back for a week or two uh, might be a good way of solving the problem.
0: Yeah, further to that, and I, I imagine Tom you experienced the same thing, my I don't have this problem since I gained a different hobby. Mm. Like, cause I spend a lot of time painting now, um, painting miniatures. And that's like, that has eaten into a lot of time I would otherwise be spending faffing. And there's a lot of different forms faffing takes like refreshing Twitter or just falling down a YouTube hole or mm. reading a wiki, wiki for no reason, or, you know, refreshing Twitter more or, or dipping in and out of games restlessly and unable and, and to settle on things and i found having something that i find um not necessarily more engaging all the time but like i get more satisfaction out of in the long run i know i get more satisfaction out of it for more likely to if i feel like I'm, I'm about to stop procrastinating i'll just sit up and do half an hour something else mm. that's meant that when i do decide to put time into a game it tends to be more substantial and more like, <coughs> or even if it's not for like for a long time, it'll be like I am going to sit down and I'm going to play one game of PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds for as long as that takes, and I sort of have more control over how I'm investing that time rather than doing that thing of dipping in and out, sort of mm-hmm. bored but not knowing how to not be bored.
4: I think it's also though from listening to you chatting about things as you Potter around, like it it is also that you've you sometimes hit on a seam of games or a, a particular game that does seem to float your boat so it's kind mm. of a, a, a combination of things
2: because
0: well, that's what I mean like i've I've always had like the game I'm super into, but what this has happened what has happened is I've stopped bouncing behind the games I'm not really into like rather than play mm. something for a little bit that I don't really want to play. Mm. which is what I used to do. Okay. I now spend that time doing painting basically and that's like, overall more satisfactory. To me. Hmm. Because they get a little plastic man out of it at the end. Which no game can do. (laughs) Apart from those games that allow you to print off your character something. They can do it. (laughs) Moving on. Simon writes Dear Crisps and Crapstone. I've been an avid gamer since the early days of the ZX Spectrum. It's high time someone remade Quasitron for the PC. However, The first time I ever played Doom, I discovered that I had a real issue with 3D games and motion sickness. First-person games are the worst, and most are unplayable for me. Third-person is better, but some of those cause me real problems too. I know I'm not alone, because the first thing I do on buying a new 3D game is to search for anti-sickness mods. Often I can find something which makes third-person games playable, though rarely sufficient to cope with a first-person game. Usually those mods open up field of view and remove camera head bob, explosion screen shakes, and so on. Witcher 3 became playable, Dark Souls 3 did not. In the old days, I could try a demo before buying to check whether a game would make me ill or not, but that's rarely possible now. Are developers and publishers aware that they are missing out on a bunch of potential sales by doing nothing to address these issues? Is it simply not something which is ever considered? Are they not interested? While I accept it may not be commercially viable to research the issue and try to make games which help, initially surely wouldn't be difficult to include some basic settings for FOV and camera shake for those of us who are afflicted. Simon.
3: Yeah, luckily a uh, uh, bunch of different people for different reasons... uh are pretty vocal about FOV sliders now, and if you don't have one of those, you'll get yelled at by the PC gaming community. Um, and so hopefully that'll help. I think screen shake is less um, uh, of a mandatory thing. Like when people don't do it, they don't get yelled at so much. Um, and yeah, it's interesting to to know about that. The obviously the big area of sort of research and and uh, rapid learning right now amongst developers is VR. Uh, where motion sickness is, uh, you know, if you do it badly, it's a huge problem for almost everyone. <laughs> um, yeah. And so they're obviously doing a lot of research into what does make people sick. And um, and in that, discovering that everyone has really different tolerances to this stuff. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if, if out of that just comes, not necessarily like from an individual company making a VR game, then going back to their non-VR game and fixing that one, but just from... Um, this sort of common wisdom, you know, the industry does kind of learn as a whole over over time slower than the individual companies do, but um, eventually there becomes an established way of doing things that we've learned this doesn't make people sick. Mm. Um, and so like, I'm pretty sure that screen shake is a thing you would just never do in VR <laughs> because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that would make everyone throw up. Um, and so that may end up informing uh, 2D Game Drone. Uh, I would say like in terms of testing things out, I um, you don't really have to be afraid of using Steam's refund system. I mean, you buy a thing, and if you can't play it for sickness reasons, I think it's a completely legit reason to refund something. And it's all automated these days. You, you, I mean, technically you submit a request and it gets approved, but I'm pretty sure that happens without any real human intervention if you have played less than two hours and... And you'll know two within weeks. two hours. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the quickest things to check.
0: Mm, that's a very good suggestion.
4: Mm, I think... Um... Something that I was going to add was, uh, I, I guess it would depend on how much of the stuff that is making you sick is hard baked into the into the technology that is operating things. Because in some, I'm assuming it is making available the slider, but in others, it might just be they would have to recode the game or start from different first principles of animating the character or like how it responds to particular things in the environment but um because it sounds like if some of the things can be modded within a short space of time of the game coming out maybe those are things that aren't obviously baked in but others may be mm. a bit more complicated um something that i i've found interesting uh, along the research lines is i think someone i think there was a a paper or a thing, a study about how people feel less sick if there's a nose on screen like you can <laughs> kind of see like the 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 bit where in reality you would see a nose, so in <laughs> v r you can like make- make out like this tiny shape that you obviously aren't focusing on, but it gives you something some sense of where your face is in relation to this. Environment that you're in, and I, I, I kind of wonder whether the equivalent of that is that um, the reticle, you know, the dot on screen yeah. that you, that annoys the hell out of me when I'm trying to take screenshots, but mm. that people do incorporate just mm. for um, motion sickness reasons. And I, I'm wondering whether it's not necessarily obviously if everyone will be different, but I wonder whether mods maybe could make that more pronounced and have an interesting effect or like so I, place I'd a little like nose
3: emoji well
4: indeed yeah.
0: <laughs> to increase your character's nose size
4: <laughs> but you know what I mean like it's interesting to think about what they could add rather than what they could take away and maybe mm. have the same mm. overall impact on the experience
0: yeah just to play a third person game or just maybe a you huge could just have nose nose an
4: overlay with a nose you know yeah. <laughs> like yeah <laughs>
0: There's a
3: nose watching you. <laughs> nose Watching out. Nathan Drake.
4: fine.
3: I just feel
0: sick of I can't see a nose at any given time. <laughs> Being alone <laughs> is awful. It's like
3: to play, to play The Witcher, like, the girl's head just has to be facing backwards so you can see his nose at all times. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he just looks back at you. <laughs> I swear, because I was reading really, a uh, new scientist to article today about how we... This sounds stupid, but we can all see our noses all the time. Yeah. Uh, but we selectively you know selective attention means that we just see a a naturalised field of vision Mm -hmm. Uh, so maybe it is just kind of putting that subconscious thing back in the game somehow Mm. actually kind of your brain is secretly going my nose is gone apart from my real nose which I can still see yeah (laughs) that's that's the problem
0: because in VR you can't see your nose anymore because it's dark in there
3: yeah and and then the other thing is we solved it guys they have a special nose guard to conceal your nose oh shit (laughs) Um, but in VR you can do you can presumably simulate exactly how the nose looks in real life which is you see it through two eyes and your two eyes yeah. give you wildly yeah. different yeah, yeah, accounts yeah. of where it is like for you know 99% of everything we see is, is far enough away from us that our eyes do not significantly disagree about where it is but if you put something that close it's yeah. really weird and in VR you can do that because you're showing a different image to each eye on a 2D screen There's probably no way To show a nose That wouldn't look Wildly weird <laughs> I yeah. demand a nose slider
0: <laughs> It's weird Because I spent This entire conversation Trying to look at my Own nose <laughs> With both eyes open Nice Yeah
4: How's that going for you? Yeah weird yeah. <laughs> it's, it's
3: simultaneously Nowhere And in two places at once
0: Yeah mm. Amazing um, That's the magic Of noses <laughs> I
4: don't think we've had that answers your question
0: <laughs> um, But no They definitely should put settings in games to pay attention the same with color blindness yeah, or anything sure. like this I often yeah. our next question comes from jamie who writes dear creighton crowbar this question is mainly for tom francis a while ago you tweeted a recommendation for a time management slash distraction avoiding app that you'd found quite useful staying productive i can't remember what the name of the app was or when the treat the tweet was although i did spend a lot of time scrolling back through twitter to find it what was the name of the app if you remember and do you still use it To everyone else, are there any apps or non-apps in your life that help keep you organized or or are you able to function professionally without these tools? Then he goes on in the second email to add this addendum. Oh gosh, in my previous email it seemed like I implied that Tom couldn't function professionally.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I
3: was was boiling with rage. Without (laughs) these
0: tools. I did not mean that. I was was referring to myself and my inability to focus on one task at a time without being easily distracted. I'm sure Tom is a consummate professional (laughs) and a stand-up guy. Sorry, Tom.
3: (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, my best guess is that he is referring to an app I made because I asked for, uh, I was just looking for like an app that I just wanted a button I can click and it just tells me how long since I clicked the button. Which is <laughs> not complicated. Uh, but I, sp- I have really specific requirements, which is I want that time to be displayed in my taskbar. I need it to be like the title of the window so that I don't have to switch to an app to find out how long I've been doing something. I can just ambiently see. And I want it to be like... My idea was when I stop working to check Twitter, I have to click that button and then while I'm checking Twitter, I can do it as long as I like, but I'll just be ambiently aware this is how long, it's been 36 minutes, are you sure you shouldn't be getting back to work? Because mm-hmm. uh, I've tried like really strict uh, rules and they usually don't work because there's sometimes there's a good reason I need to tweet something like, you know, it's from the heat signature account and I want to uh, share a, a dumb bit of code or a GIF or something. Um, and if the system stops me from doing that, I end up you know, breaking out of the system and not respecting it and not using it. Uh, so I wanted something more flexible than that. Um, and I couldn't find anything that did exactly this. So I just um, made one in Game Maker. <laughs> so technically it's a game and it's called Tom's Timer. I think if you Google Tom's Timer, pen to that <laughs> on Twitter, it will probably come up. Um, and it should still be up there that you can download it. Um, but it's literally just a button you click and it just tells you how long time you click the button.
4: <laughs> Is that a pun on Tom's Diner?
3: No. <laughs> it was because it was a timer and it was made by me, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about it beyond that. I do like the song Tom's Liner, though.
4: Yeah, but once you'd said no, it wasn't, I'd, I'd figured
3: out the <laughs> <laughs> I thinking, Why would he call it that? It must be a Suzanne Vega reference.
4: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've made myself sound stupid now. <laughs> Damn it. Um, I use Tide every now and again. It's just
0: a Tide. Just <laughs> wait
3: till it, oh, yeah. it sweeps you away. Yeah, I eventually get off to the...
4: take away my laptop and I <laughs> won't need to do any work. Um, no, it's a, a thing on uh, Android, uh, on Google Play, uh, which play, it. it's based around that pom- Pomodoro technique where mm. you get like 25 minutes of doing a thing and if you get distracted you're supposed to just write that thought or that reminder or that thing down and then get back to the task in hand and then you get like a little break and then you have another 25 minutes and and then you get a longer break after I think like four of those Um and this is essentially just a way of Uh, measuring those bursts but it also has the capacity to play white noise of varying types um Mm. while you're doing that and i find that quite helpful for that, while they're working or on the breaks so it plays like white noise for that 25 minutes and then makes a noise and um and so i find that useful when i am trying to concentrate on something like maybe writing emails or whatever else where I can just jot down extraneous thoughts or whatever. But other things, it tends to fall by the wayside. So when I'm doing transcription, obviously I've got my headphones on, I can't hear it properly and, you know, I'm usually in the zone with that anyway. But that is that is one that has helped. And also I have a Trello which I have set up for... Um, on the left, it's got a column of all of the things that I need to do at the moment, and it's a horrifying, terrifying list. <laughs> and then in the middle, it's like a the ones that I am actively working on right now, and it's only as many as I can actually do. It can't be others and then on the other side, it's done list, and <laughs> I love that list so much. Um, and that's been a useful one. I think it's called Kanban after like some kind of. Tightwad band cans. I think it's. I think it was from a, a car company in Japan or something, and and that was what named we,
0: after the Japan Kanban. <laughs>
4: Thank you. (laughs) But I think it was just a a way of like making sure that a production line thing got followed. But I found an article about it and it's actually been quite useful because I really love that done column.
2: (laughs) Love it. That's interesting
3: because I uh, I have a to-do list that's, I've used various things for to-do lists over the years and I never found one I really stuck with. Uh, So I just use plain text and actually sublime text um, uh, as a giant to-do list and sort of planning thing. And I used to, uh, I'd have a do-list and then I'd just delete things that I did um, and that worked. Uh, but then I, it annoyed me that I didn't have a list of all the things I did. I wanted to know, like, I want to see all the things I've ever done. Um, and so I started moving them. Like, I would have the do-list and i just manually sort of drag them into this done column. And in Sublime, you can, like, collapse that category so it doesn't take up space. Um, but it was a bit... There's like that interaction is so much less satisfying than selecting something and just hitting delete. <laughs> like that's the part I find satisfying about completing something is I get to just delete it. Moving it was like this, uh, fussy kind of, um, administrative task that wasn't satisfying. Um, and now because I've, uh, we started using version control for heating, which I don't really need to keep log of what I did because that's the commit log when you actually, you know, save your changes, um, to the repository. You have to describe what changes are. So I have this incredibly comprehensive list that sort of, you know, mm. super accurate to the time I did these things, uh, and also involves the things that uh, John's done on the game, um, and so I don't need to keep a list anymore in my to-do list. So I can just go back to satisfyingly deleting them, and I find that really <laughs> rewarding.
4: What's the what was the to-do list on uh, Android that we were both using for a while?
0: Uh, I I use Wonderlist still
4: yeah like so I don't use that anymore but that had a, a an ability to like tap it when you were done and mm. it would just tick it and you you'd be yeah able to see, find those later if you wanted. i
0: i have yeah i use a web app uh, slash phone app slash other kinds of app called wonder lists, um which allows you to create like auto repopulating to-do lists and things which I use quite extensively for planning daily stuff and then I add in writing deadlines and they come up and that, that kind of keeps track of almost everything. I also use Sublime Text as a kind of bigger log of stuff that comes and goes with notes attached to things. Not everything's appropriate. And I also maintain several spreadsheets. <laughs> uh, and if you'd like me to go on at length, then <laughs> look forward to the three hour, uh, Crate and Crowbar, uh, Google Sheets special, uh, deep dive. Time management lock in. Just me, just me, Chris, and my immense time management
1: skills for the better part of three, four hours. <laughs>
3: well, who knows how long it'll go? Exactly. I, time I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't
1: locked it out. And we'd like to thank our Patreon backers for enabling
0: <laughs> this wonderful spin-off podcast. Indeed. Um, so our next question, unless Thompson, you had any time management? I, I have
1: notes. no time management anecdotes that I would choose to put on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Saving everybody valuable <laughs> yeah, time. So. Um,
0: our next question comes from Crowbarite in Exile, Marsh Davies. Oh no, indeed, Tom. Oh no. <laughs> it's I, was like, I, I was like, who banished guy? him? He says that he banished himself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what he tells people. Uh, Darlings, he writes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> is he drunk? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: what was the worst named game at E3 this year? A strong contender is surely. A plague tale Innocence <laughs> Cheers Marsh. It's a high bar clear 11.
3: That is amazing um, We couldn't think of many off the top of our heads So I looked up a giant list of all things at, at E3 And my god is it rich pickings yeah. <laughs> I, I want to start with one uh, Coma Remembered <laughs> 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 It's got to be an indie game right?
0: Yeah I mean that's surely the last indie game
3: Um <laughs> Uh, Blade Strangers. <laughs> 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 uh, there, there are some here that sort of uh, like either great or terrible. Um, and I'll read it out anyway. Bafflesloss Twenty Twenty Five: The Great Pizza Wars. That's that's you could be trying that quite there. hard to be quirky, so yeah, it's probably fine. Away Journey to the Unexpected. <laughs>
4: <laughs> also good.
3: Um. Yeah, Playtime Innocence is on yeah. here. Um. After charge <laughs> Video game A dual hand disaster Track her <laughs> What?
0: What? <laughs> a, track a dual, her Hang on There's at least a lot of Hang on Is that dual as in Two people fighting Or yep. dual as in two
3: Two people fighting
0: Dual hand disaster Yeah it
3: was like A disaster on both your hands And then track her is all one word For some reason but Hang on
0: no It's a dual as in Your hands are fighting each other Yeah Okay <laughs> Track her And then it's not like track her It's track her with an H Yeah Okay video games
3: uh, Dark and Light mm. Which is about as generic as they get um, Dunk Lords is pretty good That is pretty good Can't argue with that <laughs> Genesis Alpha 1 <laughs> Jesus Christ. If it was
0: called Genesis Alpha 1 Beginnings <laughs> Then that would have been perfect Just fell a little bit short
3: In the good category uh Golf for work groups Mm-hmm Really Very wrong. good name. Uh,
4: I think I quite liked Jogger nodes as yeah, a thing. Yeah, that's
3: it. Um, Kydro the Awakening. Games. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And it continued in this vein. Mm.
4: <laughs> Lightfall.
2: Matterfall.
3: Some...
0: Matterfall?
4: Yeah, Matterfall is something, but it's PlayStation 4, so
0: guess we'll never know.
3: Banished yeah.
4: from the pod.
3: Lots of those were not PC games. In fact, probably none of those were PC games.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, to be honest, though, we should have stopped at coma, remember? Because <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's that was perfect. Incredible.
4: That is peak video game right there. Mm.
0: At least for the last couple of years, right? Like,
3: uh, It's almost it's catching up to amnesia as a trope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Comas.
0: It's a form of that. It's like, yeah. I both have forgotten, I've forgotten that I'm not awake. <laughs> is like... <laughs> Um. Yeah.
4: That's not medicine.
0: Neither's or any of the things that happen in comas in video games. I'm pretty sure. What All right. Well, next time you're in a coma, but being in a coma means solving a lot of puzzles while running sideways.
4: I'd have a great time.
0: You would have a great time, but I just don't think it's very that would realistic. Be my
4: best coma.
0: <laughs> Live in your in best the top coma. anyway. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, to be fair, this industry, if this industry is trying to do anything, it is to build a chart mm. of comas <laughs> like there are enough of them mm. um, Good. Our final question is actually a grudge, you'll like this one, Yay! Pip because it's about something that you hate. Uh,
4: what do I hate?
0: What do you hate? We can make make, make you guess even though I read this out earlier.
4: Yeah, I don't remember that. But I didn't think you were, so this is a genuine game.
0: <laughs> uh, it annoyed you today.
4: Cucumbers? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, Windows 10? Yes. Yep. Oh! <laughs>
3: yeah, <right. laughs> Where's the two? two yeah.
4: possible versions. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what do the cucumbers do, with you... They've both ruined
0: tuna sandwiches.
4: They're awful.
3: What? Tuna ruins a tuna sandwich. Cucumbers, like, if you just like cucumber and no tuna, that's a better sandwich. No, but no, I feel no, like that's if that's that's I buy
4: a tuna sandwich, I'm expecting madness. tuna in there. If you've bought a tuna sandwich and you don't like tuna, that's your lookout. On trade description grounds, your point. <laughs> if I've bought a tuna sandwich and some idiot has bunged in a load of cucumber, that feels Really wrong That's No it. don't it's get like me wrong I, I don't understand Why you don't like cucumber but... to... So what's this grudge About cucumbers
0: Okay <clears throat> uh, This is from Benedict Hello he, yeah, he's, he's in my phone I know just,
4: like... I'm just I'm, I'm trying to show Willing
0: <laughs> um, When I bought Metro 2033 During a sale I expected Nothing more Than a cheap Cucumber clone <laughs> That didn't even Have the decency Of being open cucumber Uh, Playing it, however, I was surprised to find one of the greatest cucumbers I'd ever experienced and finished it in one day, only to immediately restart the campaign for a second cucumber. I broke my no pre-orders rule when Last Cucumber was announced and never regretted doing so. Imagine my elation when Metro Exodus was announced at Cucumber with a gorgeous trailer accompanying it even hinting at some form of open cucumber format. I've
4: stopped being able to work out which words (laughs) you're using instead of cucumber.
0: If only on a level-by-level basis. This elation was quickly replaced with dismay when I read that the game would only be available on PC for Windows 10, a cucumber I've been loathed to let into my computer. While it's still early and I haven't seen any hard clarification that Metro will indeed be made available for Windows Cucumber users, it's pretty safe to assume that this will be the case. What are your thoughts on games being used as incentives for cucumbers to upgrade their systems to the latest operating cucumber, barring those who want cucumber, 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 cucumber? Yours sincerely, Benedict.
4: Wow, your commitment to that bit was the stomach. I'm done. I'm so done. Um, It's bollocks this business, this <laughs> whole trying to... I mean, it makes business sense, doesn't it? But it's it's all entirely on the side of the business that the benefit lies, so, you know.
2: The,
3: the Just Cause 2 was Windows Vista exclusive, um, which turned out to be a huge mistake for Just Cause 2, predictably. Um, <laughs> what I can't remember is, like, how did I get around that? Because I never got Vista. And I don't think I will... Did I wait till I got Windows 7? Oh, I think maybe there's a hack, actually. it tends to come to Steam it. eventually, actually. Yeah, yeah I, I always think that well.
0: Steam is too big a marketplace for them to mm. really avoid. For but does, time. does
3: Steam allow you to get around OS restrictions?
0: No, but often, like, <clears throat> the benefits to Microsoft of maintaining some stringent restriction are, you know, secondary to the benefits of having a game on Steam where it will be bought a lot by people.
3: Because with Jossicles 2, they developers. claimed that it was, like, technically uh had to be on Windows Vista. Like the uh, older OSs couldn't support the advanced features it had. So yeah, they, it wasn't they always like a that. uh yeah obviously it wasn't true. <laughs> but uh well it was using some Direct X features like it was using DirectX um, ten or something and Direct X ten literally you can't have it on less than Vista. Um and so that, although it might be bullshit that they made it that way, um probably it is uh literally true in that you know every version of DirectX does have a bunch of features and and things that the previous one didn't and so if microsoft don't let you install that on the previous os it is technically true that the game doesn't run on that but they did hack it um there was definitely like a a fix to make it run on windows xp so maybe i just use that i can't remember but I, i still use windows 7 on my desktop machine i use windows 10 on this laptop um and it's okay, but only because I have, like, permanently disabled updates, which means I'm incredibly vulnerable security-wise. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't let them update it, because you can't trust them not to just lose your work when they do.
4: Yeah, you can't trust it not to... Because you, you can't just tell it, look, I'm probably working. If my computer is on, I'm working, so mm. you have to wait. It won't accept that as a setting. And so, you know, I, there's no point in owning the PC. that but... <coughs> That's right.
3: The problem is that, like for now, you can get around it. There are yeah. workarounds, but they're very unofficial, and you have to sort of hack your uh, your you OS have to, to do it. So
4: many things. And in the problem settings. with that is
3: that because they have progressively shut down many of the ways of doing that, that's an extra reason that I can't trust a update. Even if I could just do a one off update, I won't do it because. There's a pretty good chance that they will have shut off all the ways that I have of preventing it from auto updating in the future, and I can't trust it to auto update because they've shown they have no regard for my own work or,
4: or, you know, things I'm in the middle of. I don't trust them with, like, my. with. yeah. Anyway. Um, And so it's one of those things where I was wondering whether to update to Windows 10 when, you know, like when I didn't really know anything about it because I was considering some of the games. I felt annoyed about it. And I was wondering whether maybe I could just update my laptop or something, you know, um, and still play, I don't know, Sea of Thieves or something, because that looked genuinely good. But I think it just, it chafes and it makes, i it certainly does not encourage me to think well of Microsoft and I... I think increasingly, every time I mention, um, my problems with Windows 10 or how aggravating I find it, I do get messages from people saying, yeah, but I quite like it. Or I think, mm. you know, and, and that's, I'm pleased for you. I really am. I just can't stand it. And I, <laughs> um, and, and I don't think that's a great position to be in as a provider is basically dependent on people not wanting to or not being able to afford the other options just so they stick with your horrific system. Like, I, I really think that that's poor, because as soon as a viable alternative came up, surely everyone's going to just bugger off, aren't they? Yeah. So, but, I mean, Microsoft sort of feel like that anyway, and there's not to blame any single person at Microsoft. I think it's what happens with corporations protecting corporation interests. They lose sight of any sense of realistic humanity
3: yeah they said something since somebody said that the it wasn't about windows 10 updates it was about upgrades to windows 10 um you know there's that thing going around where just if you it wasn't affecting windows 7 i don't think because that's what i have um but if you had windows 8 it just sort of gave itself the right to upgrade you to windows 10 without your permission at any time even if you're in the middle of something and you know uh, it wasn't just I heard of someone on the internet once who had this happen to them. It was like multiple friends of mine literally lost large amounts of work because it just spontaneously changed their OS in the middle of what they were doing. And someone from Microsoft did say that, that in retrospect that was over aggressive.
2: Come oh, on, <laughs> so
3: it's like uh, it's a bit late now. And also, like I mean, it, how are you not foreseeing this? If you agree that that shouldn't happen, di- didn't use you, you knew you were doing it? Surely that's just I think, I think it's... the only like, thing that changes the realised how pissed off people were.
4: It's that thing, though, I think a lot of companies or a lot of... You end up in that situation where it is that it's easier to apologise than seek permission. And I hate that because it's so damaging and it's so um prone to riding roughshod over people's rights or like taking content and using it free of charge without permission, just banking on the fact that you won't get sued. I'm not speaking specifically about Microsoft here, but it's that thing of like people will push their luck and push their luck and push their luck and then it's only when there's a lawsuit or only when there's a class action lawsuit or only when, you know, that uh it steps over into completely unacceptable, in some capacity, that, that it ever gets redressed. And I, I hate it so much.
2: Mm.
0: And on that note...
4: Oh, sorry, I thought you were going to talk, but you might have been about to sneeze.
0: Well, uh, as my allergies claim me, as we, hit, <laughs> as we hit the hour of dusk, where the plants start doing it, <laughs> and so I can't breathe... The sexiest time of night. It's time to say goodbye. That's all the questions and grudges we've got time for. If you'd like to send us a question or a grudge for a future episode of the podcast, you can email us at questions at CreightonCrowbar.com or tweet us at crowbar. This is going to have to be a quick intro because um outro even because I'm going to sneeze. Uh <laughs> Crowbar is very kindly supported by our Patreon backers. You can find out more about supporting the podcast at patreon.com forward slash Crowbar. You can also find us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. Liking and rating and subscribing things and leaving reviews on iTunes are all great. Do those things. If you'd like to follow us as individuals, you can do so. I'm on Twitter at Thurston That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Pip is...
4: At Philippa War, which is r. -R.
1: Tom. Any Tom. Pick a Tom.
3: I, Tom F, I'm a Pentadact. P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T.
1: It's on S, Matt, at PCG Ludo, which is spelled L-U-D-O. Thanks, Thanks for, Thanks for everybody. listening, everybody.
3: What are you drinking there?
4: It is a, uh, it's a porter, which is oh, uh, coffee infused. Uh, I have I I actually see. finished it, but you can <laughs> smell it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>